Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a generation witch. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, starting who's who's going to do the intro this time oh you said you, you would oh did i say i would or, well yeah no yeah jeff did it last time jeff wasn't here last time no jeff jeff wasn't here last time yeah um <laughs> <laughs> well now you put me on the spot um <laughs> we're good at that silence <laughs> uh, well welcome to conspiracy normal guys <laughs> well now no now i feel i don't want to drop the ball okay so here we go um welcome. three two one <laughs> three two one welcome to conspiracy normal with your host adam sane that was and awesome. jeff <laughs> Job man. And Rob. And me. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob Arino. Don't you love when people wait till you about to start talking and then you say something? <laughs> I feel like that happens to me all the time, but it's because I hesitate a lot. Uh-huh. If I just like jumped in and was like asserted myself, it wouldn't happen. But I'm like, maybe they're going to say, nope, they're done. Okay, now I'll talk. Oh, no, nope. There's more. <laughs> 
Well, when you when when we have those awkward silences like that, you need to put in some weird noises or something. Rob, maybe Ooh, just like, like one in. of those gates. Yeah. One of the, the gates that it it plays music in the background, but as you talk, it fades it out. Ooh, yes, yes. That would be classy. Ooh, well, very nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> elevator very music. Nice. Yes. <laughs> well, it has been an interesting week. We're coming towards the end of 2016. And last time we had on Micah Hanks with a little bit of a surprise show. As we said then, although we did not have Jeff with us that time, we talked about uh, the little party that you guys had for Alyssa and uh, some of some of the songs that you guys played. Hey, Jeff, a good job, by the way. That well, was an you. awesome, just to you, I have not told you yet, that was an awesome uh, show you guys put on the other well, night. Well, thank you. We practiced so much that it felt really weird not getting together this past week. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you felt that way, but I was just like, I feel like there's just something missing from my life now. Well, I was going to call you guys to see if you wanted to come on, come over and just like run the set real fast. But you had said, well, let's take a week off or whatever. So I was like, okay. And yes, I did say that in a mopey voice just to kind of get under your skin. Fine. Are there, are there any plans to extend this out? To, Absolutely. Because to, yep. you guys did, I mean, a really awesome job. Um, We will be for hire. Um, soon <laughs> and like parties, um, weddings, whatever you got. Yeah, whatever. By the way, did anybody record anything besides just maybe a few seconds? Did anybody record any whole songs or <laughs> yes. anything like that? Yeah, I, I've seen some songs. Some okay, ones. we okay. can maybe tack one on the end of the episode. Yeah, if you've thinking? got if you've got something, I think I do. We should do that for sure. It's a cover, so it's okay. It's copyright. Yeah. yeah, even though it might be copyright. We put a lot of work into it, therefore we can yeah. do whatever we want. Well, it was for no money, also. So right. Not like I, I still love that improvisation you guys did at the end of Psycho Killer. Yeah, that went over. That real was well. excellent. And you know, of course, Micah joined us, joined you guys for the. Uh, uh, we're not going to take it, <laughs> and I got to sing. I got to mess you up on Psycho Killer. That, by you the didn't way, mess me up. I, I, I was very impressed that you learned the French parts of that song. Well, I did tell I, you that that night. I was I pretty think impressed we rehearsed by that, that more than anything. Yeah, that and with it. <laughs> I just thought you were just going to be like something in French, something in French, which is where I messed you up, by the way. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, actually, I messed you up a couple of times because if you listen to the song, the chorus, the Psycho Killer, mm-hmm. it always repeats twice, but the yeah. first time it's oh. And then the second one is, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It does all of that stuff. You don't realize it. You think it's just every time it does all of that. Yeah. So there you go. Which that song was a little bit out of the ordinary because that song was actually in the 70s. But yes. uh, it yeah. was part of the 80s party, but it was still appropriate. And I was up there with my little energy dome, my yeah. Devo <laughs> energy dome that I borrowed from Dr. Future. So I think that was a hit of the party was was me with my Marty McFly jacket and my energy dome. <laughs> me and Micah uh, ended up going to Ross and uh, found some sunglasses and and that that's where we found our costumes. Actually, was at Ross. Ross. Yeah, you find anything <laughs> at Ross dressed for less? That's where you buy pink salt. <laughs> They're not paying us, by the way, yet. Yeah, yet. Um. Now, last time. We had Micah in the studio. We had uh, Justin, his friend that uh, is in the band Three Doors Down, and then his friend Jeremy London. All those three of those guys grew up in Asheville or around there. 
And we were talking about one of the subjects we were talking about. We were talking, if you didn't hear that show, we were talking about Pizzagate. And I kind of want to delve into that a little bit tonight because at the time and any other time when we had uh, Chris Walford on, uh, I had barely really even looked into it at that point. And I just thought there was really nothing to it. I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I still think the whole spirit cooking thing is a little spurious and nothing there. Right. That part for sure. I'm yeah. Yeah. Now there are some weird links, which we might get into and talk about, but, uh, this last week, the reason that I decided to sit down and really look into that, because there was on the day, that we actually recorded that show, and unbeknownst to us, when we were recording, and to Micah, because me and Micah didn't find out till, till the next morning before he was about to leave, there was an incident at the restaurant Comet Ping Pong. So, Rob, if you have that clip ready, this will explain a little bit of this, and we'll talk about this guy, and then I want to talk a little bit more into the bigger uh, aspects of this case. File this under what happens when fake news stories use the names of real people and places, but not real facts. Authorities say a guy named Edgar Madison Welch of Salisbury, North Carolina, walked into this pizza restaurant in upper northwest Washington uh, over the weekend. It's been here for years. He had a rifle in his hand, apparently fired at least one shot. No one was injured. People apparently scattered when they saw the guy with the gun. Authorities, when they sat down and interviewed Welch, say he admitted to them he was here to self-investigate the now notorious internet conspiracy theory known as Pizzagate, which alleges in part that the restaurant, along with Hillary Clinton and her campaign manager, John Podesta, were somehow involved in a child sex ring. All false. Now, Welch was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. No one was injured. And uh, the owner put out a statement essentially saying this shows the consequences of what happens when people use lies on the Internet. Okay. couple of things. One thing to unpack here is this latest meme, which is the idea of fake news, quote unquote. Pizzagate, any of that aside, I find this very interesting as a, as a new euphemism for conspiracy theory. When you think about conspiracy theory and where that came from, we just had not too long ago talking about the JFK assassination. And we were talking about how I believe, I think Craig mentioned that conspiracy theory was um come up with as a to counter the people that were questioning the official version of JFK. So the term conspiracy, conspiracy theorists started out as a disparaging term against those people. Later on it became more of a into the lexicon, people embraced the idea of a conspiracy theory conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorist. Okay. So I think the fake news meme is a new way of just castigating conspiracy theorists. You're hearing this a lot in the mainstream media now. Fake news, 
fake this, fake that. Uh, in fact, they were interviewing some people. I think NPR or somebody was interviewing people that were around Comet Ping Pong after this incident took place that we're about to talk about. And the guy said, you know, people have been listening to fake news. Now, that being said, there is such a thing as fake news. We see it all the time on these clickbait sites. Right. right? Mm-hmm. This happens. However, something like Pizzagate to me does not necessarily constitute fake news. This is a lot of people out there speculating about what could be happening, but it's not necessarily <clears throat> right. fake, and, and it's not necessarily news. Yeah, and there's there's a very good chance that you know there's nothing going on and that all of these theories or ideas are wrong. Mm-hmm. However, unless there's been some sort of investigation or something to prove the contrary it's not fake yeah yeah but this is dangerous because people people are going to hear it and they're just going to like divulge it to somebody else they're not going to go and check it out they do that with everything on the internet though well well but it's still it's it's dangerous to do that i mean this is fox news you know (laughs) i mean Let's talk about, I want to talk about this Edgar Madison Welch guy, this guy that went into Comet Ping Pong with a rifle to go in and quote, unquote, investigate the rumors of this child sex trafficking ring. Mm. Okay. So let's stick to him for just a bit. All right. This is from heavy.com. This is from, and I love the title of this article. This is the, they do this periodically. Edgar Madison Welch, five fast facts you need to know, as if you don't need to know anything else about the guy, honestly. But we'll we'll, we'll read number one here, okay? Welch surrendered to police after he found no evidence underage children were being harbored in the restaurant. Edgar Madison Welch told police he had read online that the Comet restaurant was harboring child sex slaves and that he wanted to see for himself if they were there. He stated he was armed to help rescue them. He surrendered peacefully when he found no evidence that underage children were being harbored in the restaurant, according to Fox 5 DC. You can read the full charging documents filed by prosecutors below. Welch brought two guns into the restaurant, police said in a press in a press release. They described the gun he was armed with as he entered Comet Pizza as an assault rifle in a tweet. A third gun was found in his vehicle, police said. Interim D.C. Police Chief Peter Newsham told the Washington Post officers responded within minutes after the first call and surrounded the restaurant. The packed restaurant located in the 5,000 block of Connecticut Avenue was evacuated along with other nearby businesses. Welch fired at least one shot into the floor of the restaurant after it was empty, NBC Washington reports. His demeanor was bizarre in that if you come into a place to eat, you ask for a host or grab a seat at the bar. Bartender Lee Elmore told the news site, didn't make any eye contact, didn't talk with anybody. Newsom said Welch surrendered about 45 minutes after he walked into the restaurant, according to the Post. An employee of the restaurant told the owner of a neighboring store, Bradley Graham, that Welch went into the kitchen of the restaurant, presumably looking for the alleged tunnels used to hide, torture, and traffic children, the Post reports. Gareth Wade, who was eating pizza in the restaurant, told the Post a server came out and said a man had just walked into the building, passed us into the back of the building. He seemed to have a shotgun or a rifle type of gun and said we ought to vacate vacate the building. Other people have gone to the restaurant to search for the tunnels, WSA TV reports. 
They're putting a lot of curses and spells over the city. A woman who was trying to find the tunnels told WUSA, all this underground tunnel that helps them take the kids and transport them back and forth so they can do these rituals. Another person entered the restaurant and live streamed video during a busy dinner hour. I told you about that guy. The New York Times, the New York Times reports. Okay. So basically, this dude, Edgar Madison Welch, walks into Comet Ping Pong in Washington, D.C., with a rifle and apparently another gun, I guess, stashed on his person. Apparently, people left the building immediately, leaving him only inside, where apparently he was looking for these underground tunnels where these children are supposedly being harbored to be taken for these satanic rituals. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he found nothing. What? And I guess he <laughs> shot into the floor and then promptly went outside. And when the police got shoot there, the, the police got there. No, he was going to save one of the kids. That's what yeah, he said. Yeah, but you don't shoot into the floor, into the tunnels. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was. But he went outside and he he surrendered to the police. Uh, okay. So that's it. That's all mm-hmm. that happened. Uh, thankfully, nobody died. Nobody was killed. Just this idiot. And I will str- stress, idiot walked into this restaurant with a gun in his hand, almost cursed, with a rifle in his hand, scaring the shit out of people. And it was this huge incident. Now, what I have loved to also have seen over the last past few days is people saying this is a false flag. This was a the media this was set up by the media. This was set up by somebody to deflect attention from Pizzagate, all this different stuff. No, I just think it's just a guy that got worked up over this stuff, decided that he was going to go investigate, figured that he could not do it in any kind of civilized manner. So he went in there threateningly with a gun and with the idea that he was going to save people. And in credit to another podcast where I heard this, apparently this guy had like some kind of Rambo complex where he figured he was going to be the bright, shiny knight and save the day. That's it. Well, he, why, what, so he didn't think to go to a Catholic church where it is going on? Is that, yeah. Do we get, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. You know, very good point there, Jeff, because this has happened. This mm-hmm. kind of thing has happened in other <clears throat> aspects, other avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You see yeah. it, you see it happen all the time. Uh, now, you know, what's interesting to me is, is that this guy walked in there and he really thought that there were kids or suspected that there were kids inside these tunnels. After all the heat that's been around yeah. us, they're still there in that restaurant. Right. This has been in the fake news <laughs> for quite a few months now, right? So for quite well, maybe a month or a month and a half, something like that. I heard about it at least a few weeks ago, maybe a month. Yeah. So these guys, so he really thinks that these guys, even though they've got all this heat on them right now and all this attention being put on Comet Ping Pong and the owner, James Alephantis, you really think that they, if they are involved in a child sex predator ring with satanic ritualistic overtones, that they would be actually still harboring children inside the restaurant. Yes. 
Wait, no, that'd be insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, let but me somehow ask you this. this guy in his mind thought that this was happening. Well, let's. That's what I want to ask you about. What as what is the history? What's Edgar's history? Has he been? Uh, committed or anything like uh there's a couple of other things on here apparently this guy thank god he had access to they're guns. saying that they were saying that he struck a teenager with his car in october uh Kid in 2016 uh a lot of the pictures of him man he's really not a big champion for kids <laughs> yeah, a, 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 lot, a lot of the a lot of the pictures of him are either pictures of him with uh or either him out enjoying nature or uh with a bunch with he's one picture are there of any him men like in taking white coats around him no well, there's one picture of him with a with a with a pickup truck full of 12 packs of beer uh <laughs> Yeah, he apparently said Welch number five is Welch was charged in assault, with assault with a dangerous weapon, and the investigation is ongoing. So probably this is somebody that's a little bit maybe unhinged, maybe a little strange, maybe getting worked up by the things that they're seeing on the internet and figuring, or maybe they have some kind of hero complex or some kind of weird complex, and they're going to go say, "I'm going to go investigate this for myself, drive to Washington D.C., and I'm going to." save these kids if they're in there and all this typically though they have a history of mental illness or they've even i don't know i don't know if anybody knows about it um i do want to play this though this is interesting here's here's our six degrees of separation this might put a little bit more to answer your question the guy we had in here last week justin his girlfriend was in here with us. She wasn't on the mic. Her name is Chris. And apparently she's from the Charlotte area, which Salisbury, North Carolina, where this guy is from, is not too far from. And apparently her family, some members of her family knew this guy and saying that he had some, that he, that his whole family is a little weird and whack. So this is from the mm-hmm. Grayling report. Uh, this is what Micah says. And uh, here's our little six degrees of separation with uh, Edgar Madison Welch. (laughs) Here's what's funny. Over the weekend, this article was brought to my attention by none other than our friend Justin Bilton from Three Doors Down. He wrote to me, he says, so here's something weird. Sends the article to the New York Times article and says, so, (laughs) a lot of O's, the guy who did this is from my girlfriend's hometown and she knew him through other people. (gasps) So he is real. No, of course he can't really be real. Oh, okay. Now Justin's working for the government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Justin Bilton probably isn't your real name, by the way, and I know you're listening, and you probably don't really play with Three Doors Down. No, you're just, that's your CIA name. Yeah. And that's you, why they do all the USO stuff. And, and they're in league with they're, the, they're, yeah, exactly. See, okay. I was lured, I was brainwashed, mind controlled, led to his apartment, then he sits in on the conspiracy. Oh, coincidence right justin bilton then sits in on a podcast called conspira normal with me and adam sane and jeremy london's been co-opted to get out jeremy get out while you still can all right get out <laughs> this all makes perfect sense now yeah it's all a big conspiracy all right so that was from micah's that was from the great lead report i just thought that was interesting and funny so his girlfriend knows tangentially i guess a couple of degrees probably from this guy, and then we had Justin sitting on the show on, on Conspiracy Normal. So I thought that was fairly interesting. Yeah, that's a uh, weird little Canary Cry Radio. Gons, who we've had on the show, actually had this guy on his friends list and was uh, freaking out a little bit about it. Huh. Uh, the reason w- what Micah was referring to in that clip, uh, people have said that this is a false flag or this is some kind of setup. 
is because Edgar Wel- Edgar Madison Welch apparently had an IMDb profile. And I guess he had been in a couple of independent films. And so people were saying, well, look, he's an actor. He's an actor. It's clearly staged. Hmm. Which one of us in this room has an IMDb profile okay. as well. So anyway, <laughs> the, uh, moving right on. <laughs> Uh, of which, well, let me make the point that d- d- just because somebody has an IMDb profile does not mean that they are a false flag set up. I disagree. By intelligence agencies. <laughs> okay. Or by the mainstream media. Uh, <laughs> hmm. That's a good, good. Well, <laughs> again, it goes back to, I would like to know his history. There has got to be. It's, there's got to be some kind of, um, you know, mental illness in his family, or he has. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'll tell you this. Maybe. It, it, the, going along the IMDb page, there are some delusions of grandeur that go along, and you have to have those in order uh-huh. to be an actor. Uh-huh. So I know this. Good point. You know, I've I've been told, and so. And that sounds like what he that sounds like what he had, right? That's well, a little bit of delusions of grandeur. I do want to throw this out there. As far as the um I obviously I don't believe this was a false flag, but there was that edge to the news reports, which constantly throwing out the word fake news, fake right. news, fake news at right. you that has this sort of it, it had this vibe like if we tell you something, you listen to it and you believe it mm-hmm. attitude, which is also just as dangerous. So I agree. I agree. And, and and you also know that at, at a certain point at this point now with the way the internet is and the way social media is that eventually you are going to get some idiot or some mentally unhinged person that is going to pull something like this. Right. So and it's almost like you use a rubric and you say, okay. And let's hold that person accountable, not everybody else. Right. Exactly. X plus two equals, you know. Uh, crazy guy with a gun trying to look for the tunnels. Um, one thing I wanted to point out about the tunnels aspect, I found this interesting, and this kind of set me on a quest uh, this this entire week of looking into Pizzagate, finally giving it the time that I felt that it deserved to be looked into. But the tunnels thing is reminiscent of me to me of the McMartin preschool case. In that case, we talked a little bit about this uh, a few shows ago. Remember, we had Tom Dunn on, and we talked a little bit about it as well. In that case, there were supposedly these tunnels that were underneath the school, and they did actually find tunnels that were underneath the school, but whether they were used for what they reported and the kids said they were used for is a whole other matter. I don't want to get into that, but it's very reminiscent of that case. So either you're dealing with something that is a figment of somebody's imagination or there is some kind of real link to it. Um, so that being said, and all this about Edgar Madison Welch being said, um, the only thing that I'm going to say is, is if people are going to get themselves worked up, don't be an idiot. Don't go out and do this kind of stuff, whether it's real or not, you know, these people, if they are doing bad things, they will get their justice in the end, whether that's when they die or in this world, whatever. But, you know, causing yeah. you know, this guy now has caused a bunch of problems, a shitload of problems for himself. Yeah. He's probably going to go to jail. He's, you know, I'm questioning mean, things, even no matter how far out there they might be right. questioning them with friends, questioning them on the Internet, talking about it. 
is yeah. fine. Don't go anywhere with a gun. Yeah. And try to <laughs> solve because because to him he's going in there and saying I'm going to save these kids. Well, to everybody else he just looks like a maniac. And especially in Washington D.C., you're going to walk in somewhere with a gun, they're going to be on you like flies on shit. Mm-hmm. Okay? That city does not mess around with anybody with a gun. All right. So, catch my breath here. All that being said, I want to talk a little bit about Pizzagate. Um, we do have Walter Bosley coming on tonight. And after that, I'm going to have Thad McCracken come on because he wrote an article that I thought was very important. Some of the things that he said about there being a witch hunt mentality behind Pizzagate. But I want to look at, and help me out with this, Rob, because you studied this too. Some of the aspects of this case that may lean to it actually being a pedophile ring. And we talked a little bit about this last week with Micah about the WikiLeaks emails. Um, The code word, apparently pizza being a slang for little girls, hot dogs being a slang for little boys. Apparently where people are looking at this from the pizza gate, um, on all these reddits, which is now closed down by the way. And all these other websites are saying that this is all slang. I guess that the FBI said this is slang for little boys, little girls. Uh, there's a lot of other aspects, a lot of weird stuff like the $65,000 for pizza and hot dogs that, that, uh, that's in the WikiLeaks emails, which seems strange, but the government has a habit of spending tens of thousands of dollars on like a hammer. That's, that's true. I have heard some people say that, uh, Use very rarely is are things are catered in Washington in D.C. They're not usually flown in from some other place unless they just want a Chicago deep dish pizza, which is possible. Uh, but then there's another reference in the same email, like what 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 can we get the same waitresses this time? That's a little weird. Okay, uh, some other people have looked at just Comet Ping Pong in and of itself. And this guy, uh, James Alephantis, who is the owner of Comet Ping Pong, uh, have looked at his, was an Instagram account. And there are some strange things there. And then there are some things that are not as strange. Some of the things, some of the pictures that I saw. Right. Well, see, this, he is the, of all the little aspects of this, this whole, whole theory, he, he's the one where I'm just like, yeah, I think there is something up with that guy, whether this, right. Whether that translates to a giant ring that's, you know, involving other government officials or whatever. I'm not convinced at all, but he, he definitely seems a little off. Yeah. Well, here's about the, here's about the emails. First of all, uh, references to this is from vote v o a t e v o a t dot co, which is where like a lot of this stuff has gone over to uh, this website now that Reddit has been closed down. Uh, this is in the emails uh, reference to pedophilia via known pedo code like cheese pizza in the Podesta emails, such as the handkerchief pizza map being left behind. 
Handkerchiefs are used as code for sexual preferences, and victims of pedophilia express that it's collected as a souvenir after being placed under the victim. Other code words found in the emails like playing dominoes on cheese or pizza and an email titled pizza.jpg where the message is doesn't get any better than this with an attachment of a little girl eating pizza with two females who happen to be women captured investigating human trafficking in NK Unilee. I don't know what that is. Uh, a worthy, a worthy linked government email to check out where pizza is obviously a code word. Who all is in the Austin office today? Who is going to want pizza? We only have one slice and we need to know how thinly to slice it. That's strange. That's a strange way of talking about pizza. That is a strange way to talk about pizza. (laughs) Email from Tom Luzado saying how children of 11, nine and seven will be in the pool for further entertainment. Okay. Also, it's very eerie how the Podesta brothers match the separate. This is interesting, although I think tangential. Uh, apparently, the Podesta brothers, they say that the people that are uh, the, the, the sketches in the Madeline McCann case, the little girl that went missing in Portugal way back, I think, in like 2003, they say looks like John and Tony Podesta. That's weird. Uh, although I don't necessarily know that could be very very far-fetched but this is interesting for me andrew breitbart seemed to think the podestas were involved in sex trafficking back in 2011 when he tweeted about it before he died the tweet is most likely in response to the acorn scandal where planned parenthood was found to be aiding in underage prostitution as found by an undercover investigator uh, recording podesta was conveniently appointed to investigate the scandal that's interesting uh, now talking about Comet Ping Pong Comet Ping Pong in D.C. is not surprisingly he's found as Podesta emails it is a restaurant that several high officials are tied with including Hillary along with a couple other restaurants nearby with possible connections and galleries where Hillary is seen and that billionaire George Soros along with others donated over $20,000 to WAPO Washington Post reported that sex slavery is a big problem in D.C. Another worthy email from the Podesta leak saying, do not forward where it had Hillary's logo and the attachment with a pizza slice in it with Comet Ping Pong's name, uh, Comet Ping Pong's name. The family-friendly restaurant Comet Ping Pong is owned by James Alephantis, a.k.a. Jimmy Comet. His Instagram has unusual pictures, such as a child taped to a ping pong table, joking about a kill room, calling a baby a hotard, a baby picture with chicken lover Comet. We talked about that last week. Uh, that's that's disturbing. It's well, that's true. what I'm saying. This guy, okay. this guy, I find child with money in their mouth, baby doll for sale with comments saying it's overpriced and other images portraying pizza in a sexual way. Jimmy Comet also posted a picture on his Instagram of Podesta's Arch of Hysteria sculpture. That's the uh, apparently I think that's the uh, sculpture with the guy turned the over on himself. Yeah, oh. this thing. Uh, so that's weird. On when she visited his house, a picture of Satan and spirit cooking queen herself, Marina Abramovich, going back to the spirit cooking thing again. So that gets pulled back into it. His Instagram profile picture. This is what I find very disturbing. Okay, this one right here. His Instagram profile picture is a sculpture of Antinous, who's, who, which resembles erotic love for adolescent boys. 
Antinius or Anton Antinius was the gay was the gay teenage lover of the Emperor Hadrian. And this is the guy's Instagram picture. Now, <clears throat> Alphantis is gay. Whatever. But the fact that he's kind of celebrating a teenage lover of a Roman emperor is weird to me. <laughs> Have you heard the theory about his name? What's what's the theory? In French, his name means the love of children. Jamais l'infants. Really? Yep. <laughs> now, I don't know how far to read into yeah, that. But see, there's true. another. There's another picture. Uh, and it's not that is from his Instagram that has two guys uh, in boxer shorts, nothing but boxer shorts. And in the middle is this kind of like weird, skinny looking dude that has that name, Jaume L'Enfance. I love children. Has that, in a, in a, but, but in the context of the picture, it's extremely bizarre. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I think that there's, I mean, if anything, and all this, like he, he's the most questionable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Comet ping pong used using disturbing artwork with paintings of children with their heads cut off. And that is going to uh, address some of this. I think when we talk to him uh, and he'd give his viewpoint on it and more artwork in their restaurant of heads cut off. And in their washroom, they have a painting of a guy playing ping pong while ejaculating on the table. Comet Ping Pong's friend for entertainment, Majestic Ape, which is an artist that has provocative music with artwork that involves both children and sex. Words, all the children with babies crawling and a child with a phallic toy in its mouth, joking of pedophilia in captions in their music videos. It's also listed on Comet Ping Pong's friends list. When giving a talk to her audience about preferences of an employee, someone shouts children and little boys, in which she responds, I think that was the manager. We all have our preferences. He, he, he. Common ping pong and neighboring restaurants have a pedophilia symbol in their logos, a triangular spiral in the neighboring best of pizza, the butterfly, the heart. Now, I'm a little iffy on that one. That's, I think that's, you know, they, you see the symbols and they do look very similar, but also it could just be a symbol for pizza. Okay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. it really could be. I, but they, then again, they talk about how, being hidden in plain sight. Um, another worthy case is Ricky Dearman's children talking about their papa. Oh, this is, this is something else they're going into other things here. Um, okay. So, some of the things that are on his Instagram account are, like I said, iffy. Uh, there was one that I saw that I thought nothing of. It was a picture of two little kids laying on a hammock, and you have a mom and a dad, and the dad is wearing a shirt that says in the corner, it says, but, B-U-T-T, and the woman is pointing at it and laughing, and it's and somebody makes a comment, like maybe... Alephantis himself says like daddy likes butt or something, but it's just people commenting weird things on Instagram. Right. I mean, everybody comments weird things. You, you know, you get invited to weird things. Like I said before, 
Uh, the chicken lovers thing, though, that to me is disturbing with the pearls draped around the little girl. I can't tell if it's a little girl or a little boy. Some people said it's a boy. Some people said it's a girl. And then the hashtag chicken lovers, which is also slang for men who like little boys. Uh, that's disturbing. Uh, the little kid kind of taped to the ping pong table. I'm not as that. That just looks like a joke to me. But in the context of everything else, it's strange. Yeah. Uh, what I found most disturbing, though, was the fact that you have this pizza restaurant that has all this strange erotic art, and you have there's a there was one picture that had these little girls and they were going to a sleep they were having a sleepover. And it said hashtag sleepover and they were all smiling and they have sleepovers for little kids in this, in this place. And you have all this weird art on the wall that is not appropriate for little children to see. I mean, I'll just come out and say it, you know, call me a moralist if you want, but that's weird. And it really, and, and, and really when you look at this stuff, you just think, Okay, some of it I can just see is people joking around. Maybe they just have a re- it's it's one or two things. Maybe they have a really sick sense of humor. Are they actually doing this stuff? Well, and that's my point is if you know maybe maybe it is just joking around, but if there's enough of that to point to some underlying like not even not subconscious, but just yeah, you know, hidden side to this guy. Yeah, I mean. I watched a documentary uh, called Open Secret, and this was about pedophile rings in Hollywood, rather these guys that were getting these hopeful teenage boys, young teenage boys, but some of them as young as 11, and basically luring them into molestation, having sex with them, uh, these guys that they had a company called DIN called Digital Entertainment Network, which went bust in the dot com around like 2001 or so. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to do original programming for the internet, kind of like what Netflix is doing now. However, this was 15 years ago. But they talk about these guys and how these guys were basically luring these kids in and they would have these parties in Hollywood. Uh, one of which, one of the associations that they had was Brian Singer, who did the X-Men movies, Usual Suspects. I mean, a lot of, he's done a lot of famous movies, fairly famous director. Okay. But he, apparently he was at these parties. One of these kids has brought a lawsuit. A uh, couple of the guys later did get caught. One of the guys skipped the country. And these guys just have this very creepy vibe. They have this very creepy look to them. You know, like one of them has all this Botox surgery and it's just, you have to see the, the documentary to really just, it, it, it creeps you out. And, Al, and Alephantis looks the same way to me. And it's almost like, it's almost like you look at it and it's almost like you look at it, it's kind of like, there's that little bit of an emotional thing there. Where you saw almost like you got to use your intuition in a way and say something is not right here. Something is is very strange. And then you have the Podestas and all their weird artwork and the pictures of little boys and the the uh, 
the sculpture that Tony Podesta has that is what which is in the form of what uh how Jeffrey Dahmer used to pose his corpses that this weird homoerotic stuff and just a couple of things the um the, the documentary that you mentioned did they make any I cannot remember the guy's name but he's the director of Powder um no it, it did no, not but that guy is yeah. several times convicted a pedophile and it is said that um that uh, from that documentary call me lucky he says that that is actually basically powder it, the script is the pedophile it's like their manifesto the uh, yeah so i've heard that too yeah yeah that, and i mean that guy is a convicted pedophile but right man i got to tell you with all of this I own several violent works of art. I have done album covers for people that were considered violent as well. If you look at some of my text messages, you would think, "Oh my God, there is something <laughs> yeah. wrong with this yeah. guy." Yeah, I could, I could be <laughs> accused of all of this myself. Yeah. It, 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 in in that respect, you are right. Because there's plenty of weird stuff, you know, you know, like Micah brought up the band Ghost, Mm -hmm. you know, like they, like apparently they say they worship Satan and all this, but probably actually don't. It's probably all gimmick, and we can see through that. I know those guys, and and I can, I can assure you, it is quite the gimmick. And and, in most, in in most of the time, all that stuff is a gimmick. Yes, and in in. And that was the thing when I first looked at this and I was like, okay, these are just people. They're picking stuff out of pepper. The people in, in Comet Ping Pong, they're, they're working the restaurant business. I work in the restaurant business. I know how it is. I know how things can get when you're bored and you, you talk about nasty stuff. It happens. Okay. Anybody who's yep, worked right. in the restaurant business knows this, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially when you're working in that kind of higher scale restaurant and high stress area. But when you when and so a lot of it I could look at and I could say okay that's just a joke mm. I can look at it and say that's just a joke but then some of it like I said before when you have people that are you have this weird artwork but you're well you may have had that but you're also not bringing children into the mix and you're not having children was to come in and have sleepovers and plus all this weird code that's in these WikiLeaks emails. And look, I want to say this. I'm still 50-50 on this stuff. Hmm. I'm still not sure. And the thing is, we're probably never going to be sure unless there is some kind of conviction. And right now, nobody is touching this thing with a 10-foot pole, but just people on the internet. And that's my point right there, is that there's enough there that it's worth looking into and that they shouldn't be calling it fake news unless there's going to be an investigation. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Has anyone brought this person up on charges? No. No. See, I... Edgar Madison Welch with his rifle and his Rambo right, complex. Right, yeah, and clearly he was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank God we had that guy protecting our kids. Yeah. Nobody's brought... No, yeah. Nobody's brought any charges on this. See, I... And we, we will see. Yeah. We if, will if, see. If you were to say this guy's got a long list of uh, accusations against him, I might be like, yeah, okay. I mean, look at Michael Jackson. <laughs> Yeah, that guy. He had tunnels in his house. Yeah, I mean it was clear. Alarm that, systems. Yes, uh, and yeah. then how many people accused him of doing it? 
But yet, he had, if you go through his house and look at his wonderful art that he had, I, I'm doing quote air quotes because his tastes were awful. Um, mine are good. I am not a pervert. And his were awful. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, just just to make you laugh. Uh, anyway, um, so there, there you go. I think that when people try to put up that front, because my thing is, anytime somebody goes, no, I'm a good guy. I'm a Christian. I totally, I instantly don't trust them. I know they're bad. And so, therefore... Um, yeah, it's, it's really about what's what's in people's hearts, right? Honestly, and so therefore, I would way <laughs> rather I would I trust people that would that have a sick sense of humor that don't say I'm not a nice guy, you know, or that do say I'm yeah. not a nice guy. And, and I think that's where Thad is going to go with this too. I think that's where he's going to go with it and probably give us a little bit of an insight into it mm. because there is another element to this, and that is the fact that while we have all this that is very strange and very bizarre, there is also a witch hunt element to this as well. Right. To where people can easily get worked up and get the, get the, the, the pitchforks or bring a rifle into the into the comic ping pong and do this. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, I thought was odd. And I saw this in a video last night. This could just be interesting. Uh, you know, the uh, picture of Baphomet where you have one hand, one finger pointing down and one finger pointing up. And then you have these little like crescent moon shapes in the comet ping pong logo there. You have the same crescent moon shapes in the same position as in the Baphomet. I, I take that for <laughs> what it is, man. I don't know what that is, but just take it for what it is. I don't know. But that, that was weird to me too. So I think on this one, guys, time will tell. And this could just be easily forgotten about swept under the rug you know once trump becomes in as president we'll see how much people are, are paying attention to this uh also i found it interesting as far as trump goes uh michael flynn who is on par to be the new national security advisor his son actually posted about pizzagate and they actually fired flynn's son trump actually fired him from the transition team because of his post about Pizzagate. So that could be a good sign that we're not going to listen to when things like that stuff. happen. I, I, I tend to look a little harder. Like, yeah. I just can't and, help and, and the Reddit thing too, right? Yeah. I'm shutting yeah. you down on Reddit. Now, Banning what, all conversation on Reddit. Yeah. What their excuse was, was that they were going to have, uh, that they didn't want, and people were doing this. They were, they were posting personal information of Alephantis and the address of the store and all this kind of stuff and personal stuff online. Now, that was their excuse, but it's interesting how that got shut down. And see, that just in your mind, that gets your mind thinking like, well, maybe there is something to it. That's, if yeah, if that's are point. they scared about this? Mm -hmm. It's you just know? people talking. Uh, talking yep. is fine. This is, uh, I, I, know, I am 100% don't believe any of this, and I'll tell you exactly why. The first thing that you read in there is, well, he has ties to Hillary Clinton. I know that it's made up, because that's, yeah. that's their well, little thing. Oh, yeah, it's to Hillary Clinton. There you go. Well, let me say it's this. It's a lie. Let me say this. We said this before. This goes on both sides, okay? This is both yeah. sides of the political aisle. These pedophile things, uh, this stuff that goes on. And remember, as I said last time, Dennis Hastert, the former Speaker of the House, was he, uh, he is, has been prosecuted for, has had charges brought up for him for molesting teenage boys in the 70s. 
Okay. Mm. This stuff has happened. I and think it, also, I it, and it, I think it happens more than we yeah. know. And there was the Franklin cover up that was uh, on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was happening in the in the Reagan and the Bush White House. There was also a homosexual callboy ring in the Reagan White House. Really? Okay, so this that. stuff does not just happen from the side of uh, the Democrats. It happens on the Republican side as well. Right. This is this is an elite thing. This is not a. Democrat or somebody with a D or an R at the end of their name. Also, the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, who has who is a convicted child predator and a child trafficker, with his little island down there called Lolita Island that he used to build bring Bill Clinton to. He also to would all bring, kinds of fucker. He would also bring the, Donald Trump would hang out with him as well. Yeah. So I'm there's a lot of this. So there's a lot of right, right. there's I'm a lot of this weirdness. There, I I do not <clears throat> I believe. Your point. Whenever it's it, the first couple of lines where it ties to Hillary Clinton. Well, that's like, just that's that's is. just somebody trying to grab it and use it for their own agenda, though. Exactly, yeah. it's yeah. not that, true. Well, the, the connection there might not be true, but there could be some truth in. I can tell you. I mean, I can tell you a place you can go right now and pick up pimps, prostitutes, whatever. And it's nothing's going to happen. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you exactly. <laughs> Go to Murfreesboro Road and you can do this all day long. But you, Jeff is going to take happen. some special yeah. <laughs> some special listeners out there for a field trip. Yeah. All right, and, guys. And, and, and do something about it. Become a crusader. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, good point. Good point. There are plenty of, there are plenty yeah. of organizations that are out there hmm. that are... Uh, against this stuff, and they are doing something about it. So find those in your community yes. and do something about it. Human trafficking, child trafficking goes on all the time, and it's not just happening with little white kids in Washington D.C. It's happening with with kids of all races, all colors, everywhere. There was just a sex slave. There was just a slavery ring that was busted in London. I mean, somewhere in England, not too long ago. Okay, right. so this stuff happens all the time, right, and there's very easy ways to get in involved. More community right but now. Don't so don't go funny. to Comet Ping Pong with a gun and worry about them. <laughs> worry about what's going on in your community. But don't you think it is funny that nobody cares? I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'll give you a place you can go and, and break <laughs> it up. But it doesn't matter to anybody unless it's politicized. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason anyone's going to care about it. All right. So. Well, we got to get to the guests. So we got five minutes and we're going to call them. And guys, we'll be right back with Walter Bosley to talk about his book, Shimmering Light. All right, guys, we're back on Conspira Normal, and on the line, we have one of our favorite guests on the show, on for a now, I think, record fourth time. That is, uh, yeah, you've joined the four guest club, Mr. Bosley. <laughs> That's uh, Mr. Walter Bosley. We're going to talk about his book, Shimmering Light. But uh, Walter, uh, you, know, you know Rob here. Uh, How's it going, producer. Walter? Hey, Rob. And uh, this is Jeff. He's uh, one of our new co-hosts. Hello, sir. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? 
Good, good. I did not make the proper introductions as we were had our little pre-show banter here, ah, but uh, no it, it is what it is. Now, you have a new book out uh, that just, I think, is pretty hot off the presses, so to speak, right? At least hot off the uh, hot off the e-reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think just uh, what uh, a little less than three weeks ago. Yeah, I think like right that. before Thanksgiving. I think is when you put right. it out, and that yeah. is called Shimmering Light which has a very interesting subtitle. What is that subtitle? I'm not looking at a copy of the book. <laughs> lost in an MK lost Ultra House of yeah. Anu or yeah, Anu. Lost, lost in an lost in an MK Ultra House of Anu. And then I think the rest of the cover kind of gives a little bit more, you know, um Operation Paperclip, uh uh Roswell UFOs and Perception Management. Yeah. And, and you, you know, the first time we had you on, we talked about Empire of the Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about that series. And then the second time we talked about Secret Missions. Uh, the third time we talked about Origin, uh, which mm-hmm. is your book kind of about the origin of a possible breakaway civilization. Mm-hmm. But this book is, I think, a little more personal for you in that oh, yes. it deals with the story of your father. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about... To start off, your dad, what your dad's background was in the military, you know, where was he stationed? How long was he in? What service? What branch of service was he was he in? Well, in the uh, in the mid fifties, he entered the United States Air Force, enlisted, and he spent his entire enlistment after basic training and, um, you know, getting his assignment. Uh, he spent his entire enlistment at George Air Force Base, which. Uh, Southern California natives, you know, over over forty, I would say, um, are are very familiar with George. It, it's uh, up in Victorville. It, of course, has not been an Air Force base for a while, but physically, huh. it's it's still there. And uh, my dad, during his enlistment, was a physiological training specialist, and essentially, he would run pilots through the altitude chamber. He would um, brief and, and train pilots on um, things to do with uh, what flight, particularly at high altitude, would do to human physiology, what they could expect, what they would experience, um, you know, what they should try to avoid. Um, he would train them on the uses of uh, the latest technology in pressure suits and oxygen delivery systems. He would help to maintain you know, provide the maintenance on this equipment for the uh, uh, the the various squadrons that used it um, in on his base and in his area. Uh, I grew up before the book "The Right Stuff" came out. I grew up hearing firsthand stories of men like uh, Chuck Yeager, Ivan Kinchlow, Scott Crossfield, um, all these guys that uh, Tom Wolf uh, wrote about in his book. Yeah, we we just lost John Glenn just the other day. Yes, Uh. yes, we did. And, uh, you know, for my my generation in particular, because I was a little kid when Apollo was happening, you know, that that's a big deal. You know, I used to be able to, if, if, if put my mind to it, I probably could, but you know, I used to be able to just rattle off anybody my age, you know, any kid could rattle off the names of the, the Mercury Gemini and Apollo astronauts. And, you know, I remember, you know, watching the launches and the landings and the splashdowns and stuff, just grew up watching that. And my dad's unit, um, 
tested uh, what would be the Mercury uh, spacesuit, the silver suit that you see in all the historical films and in the movie The Right Stuff. Hmm. My dad's unit at George did the um, ground testing because they always test this stuff in the altitude chambers. Um, his unit did the ground testing for uh, that specific suit when Mercury was an Air Force manned space program before NASA came along and took it over. Um, Mercury was was an Air Force. Uh, yeah, see, program. I didn't actually know that. I, I thought that they had actually uh, had started with with NASA. So I guess that it uh, when when did Mercury get started? Just as an aside, uh, honestly, um, formally, just less than a year before NASA came along. Okay, and then I, I think it had been around a year or so when it, NASA took over. Mercury. Um, however, as I lay out in the book, and I got to tell you, I didn't know the extent of what I had found in research for this book, that mm-hmm. the Air Force had pursued manned space. Um, I am even more. I have said ever since I you know, was in the Air Force, um, ever since I got out, you know, I've told people, look, um, I'm convinced for reasons I can say and reasons I cannot – you know, I tell people, look, U.S. Air Force, U.S. military, but particularly U.S. Air Force, probably has a classified manned space program to some degree. And after doing the research for this book, looking into my dad's era and what the Air Force was doing in post-World War II, um, I'm, I can tell you it's even more – it should be even more convincing because, um, you know, General uh, Benson – in my opinion, as I say in the book, was really pursuing that. And just because NASA came along and took over Mercury, um, I and I say this in the book, of course, as you know, um, I don't think that the Air Force just suddenly stopped pursuing manned space travel. I think it went yeah. classified at that point. Yeah, I, I think that that would that would tend to make sense in, in many ways. And when you really think about it, I, I want to ask you, uh, Walter, about. You know, you were in the Air Force as well. Did your dad's time in the Air Force, did that inspire you to join? And um, You know, those kind of influences are in the background. But actually, um, I had thought about it in the late 80s and then went the other direction, went uh, FBI. Um, but honestly, uh, I after working for the FBI for a while, my mentor – you know, told me, okay, go talk to the military and go talk to them about, you know, um, uh, in intelligence or agent positions. And that's exactly what I did. And the air force was the one who bit the hardest because they, mm-hmm. uh, they liked my background for the FBI. And I was what you call, um, direct accession, um, into OSI. What that means is, um, uh, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing before I even reported to uh, officer training school. Um, usually you go in, most guys and ladies go in, you go through officer training school and somewhere around two weeks before you graduate uh, or a week, perhaps you find out what your duty assignment is going to be. You find out what your specialty, your, where you're going to be going, what your job's going to be. I knew from the day I reported that I was going to OSI. As a matter of fact, um, about a month before <laughs> I reported to OTS, um, the man who would be my 
um, special agent in charge in Los Angeles called me on the phone and said, hey, do you want to come work for my detachment? I'd love to have you out here. So I, not only did I know that I was going to be an OSI agent, I knew exactly what my base assignment was going to be. Um, and uh, that was you know, because of the experience that I had. Uh, but it, but it was really um, because I wanted to be a federal agent, and uh, you know, my mentor said, "Hey, go, you know, go apply there. Take that if they offer it to you." At the time, there was a hiring freeze in the FBI for agent positions. They they would do that occasionally. They might still, but in, in other words, they were just not hiring any new agents. They weren't yeah. training any new agents. And and my goal was to be a federal agent. Um, and so that's why I j- jumped over to the Air Force and took uh, – uh, and now when I was leaving the Air Force, I, I, re- I applied to be an agent and I got accepted. I passed all the stuff in the FBI. I've got a, prov- I got a letter somewhere in my files. It's my – you know, you've been hired back provisionally. Um, I think all I had to do was go do the physical, but they wanted me back as an agent. And I decided to take another offer. But uh, it was good to know that they wanted me back, um, <laughs> and we're going to give me a badge. But uh, no, it was it was um, you know, of course, it was something I was enthused about doing. Um, you know, being a yeah. military officer. I mean, I have that for life. You know, a commission right. is for life unless you resign it or get it yanked away. So you know, I can say till I die that I'm a captain in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. That's pretty awesome. You know? It it is. It's you know, it's for for people who respect that kind of thing. It's pretty cool, <laughs> you know. Um, they can grab me back anytime until I'm, uh, I think, sixty-two. Yeah, so of course you're not. The next, you're not very popular with the UFO crowd because of your association with a, with a, some a, a fozy. Yeah, yeah. With some of them are, uh, you know, utterly ridiculous <laughs> with uh, thinking that I'm some type of disinfo. And I, I might have said it here before, but um, yeah. I'll say it again. You know, uh, I wish because that would imply a paycheck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it was funny. Uh, I was watching Netflix one night, and just as an aside here, I'm watching Netflix and I turn on this movie called Mirage Men. And there, <laughs> and there, and there you are in the movie. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, and fat with long string. <laughs> I, I te- yeah, I, 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 sitting in a lawn chair, I, I texted you uh, uh, on Facebook and, and I was like, I'm watching Netflix and you're on, you're on the movie I'm watching. And you're like, what are you watching? And I said, Mirage Man. And you're like, oh yeah, that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, I, uh. I'm, I really love the movie, but I'm conflicted in on it just because they threw you in with Richard Doty as a, which you had yeah. absolutely nothing to do with any of that stuff. Right. I and you know I still to this day, I'll stand up for for Doty uh, to a great degree because you know I've been inside his organization. Uh-huh. I know how things work, and you know personally, you know I've said it before. I've told Greg Bishop this. You know what was done to Benowitz, um, in my opinion, was not likely done by Doty. Um, in my opinion, that was the hand of some other federal agency that came in on the whole thing. In yeah. my opinion, that, yeah. that that was I I I can almost guarantee you that that you know what happened with the whole Benowitz thing was not at the hands of the U.S. Air Force. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective of it. Because yeah, we talked about that with Adam Go Rightly um, back in uh, back last year. He's actually mm-hmm. writing a book about that, and we've mm. not we've not had Bishop on the show. I need to get him on. But uh, let's get into the stuff in the book, man. Sure. Uh, I want to. Mm. 
you know, what's when, when did your father get out of the Air Force and what did your father tell you about the experience that he had and what was your kind of reaction when you heard all this? He got out, uh, uh, I have the um, document somewhere around here. It's not hands reach, but it's in the book, of course, um, in uh, December of 1958. Okay. And um, he was released early to go to school um, is the reason they used. Um, I, I discuss in the book that, you know, it might have involved other reasons. Now, he had an honorable discharge. Um, he received an honorable discharge, so uh, you know I like to make sure that's clear. Um, he, the earliest I can recall, like, like I say in the book, was around 1974 that he first started talking about this, and it was a Sunday. We were still living in uh, West Virginia, 74. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 74, um, and we were looking at. The the some of the classic life and look magazines on UFOs that had come out during the '60s. UFO buffs will be very familiar with those, and um, and that got him talking, got us talking about. You know, I was a little kid; I was only not quite 11 years old, but um, you know, it got him talking about the subject in general. And um, as the '70s, the mid '70s progressed, we the following year returned to California. But as the the mid '70s progressed. There were more and more shows about UFOs on television and stuff, and of course that would inspire a conversation. And, and he would he would tell the story about how when he had been at Gunter Air Force Base in Alabama for some training, um, at one point they he and a couple other guys had to fly to one of the bases in Texas for some you know what would be considered routine uh, briefings and stuff. And uh, when the plane got over about Louisiana or Mississippi, it made a northward banking turn and an intel officer comes out of the uh, forward cabin and informs them that they're not going to Texas, that they're on their way to Ohio, specifically Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And mm -hmm. it's there that my dad told me that they were briefed on this incident that happened near Roswell, New Mexico in the late 40s, in 1947 specifically. And they were told, and they were shown uh, bodies and debris, and then they were told that it had happened again in Arizona. And uh, the next thing he would say about it was, off they went to Arizona, and they were in this subterranean area. There was an Air Force search and rescue operation that had. Uh, that was going on classified and it was at the request of the people whose craft had crashed. Um, and he described these people as a, this is my word, um, parallel human civilization on the planet. And they, their craft had gone down and they, he didn't give me the specifics, but they had come to our authorities or whoever, presumably a base, and asked for help in locating their pilot so that he could be returned to home, which was in the subterranean world. Um, no other way to put it. And uh, in this project, my dad and a couple of guys had an unexpected encounter 
with some of the underground folks, which resulted in um, they, they, they kind of startled each other. They kind of walked up on each other, and uh, one of the U.S. Air Force guys ended up being killed. Hmm. Um, and uh, that's pretty much where his story would end, as he told it. And, um, you know, so I had heard this story um, over the course of a few decades. And, um, you know, I, I'd written one article on it a few years back, but I had never really dived into it, um, even with, uh, you know, a source of many years telling me a little bit more and having me draw a little bit more out of my dad. Um, this, this book was really the first time I really jumped in to analyze everything I knew and anything I could find relative to it. What was your reaction when he told you this? I mean, what did you think about this this story? Well, you know, I'm first hearing it when I'm a kid, and of course, it's fascinating me. Sure, because I I was really fascinated with UFOs, and uh, you know, it was uh, it wasn't Jaws; it was Close Encounters that made me think, "Wow, this Spielberg guy's got the coolest job in the world. I want to be a movie director." Yeah, um, and so I was fascinated with movies. And, uh, you know, we've talked about that in the past, but I was just as equally fascinated with the, uh, the subject matter of close encounters. Interestingly enough, E.T. does not do anything for me. E.T. is a bunch of sentimental dreck in my opinion. <laughs> um, I like close encounters because it just, it pushes my buttons, you know, even though it has the, the touch of the, the sentimental stuff. Um, so, you know, that would inspire conversations. And because I was so into this, I mean, my dad telling me this story, I'm thinking, this is awesome stuff. This is cool. And then as I got older and learned more weird stuff, you know, on the course of my own life, um, it just became even more fascinating. Um, and then naturally when my mentor started, you know, kind of confirming to me when I would you know, as I say in the book, it's like, hey, my dad, he's under sedation, and boy, the stuff he's talking about, you know, and I got my mentor telling me, oh, he's talking about that, is he? Okay, well, don't let him talk about that around other people, but when you're with him, try to draw more out. And then, you know, over the years, he would fill in blanks. Now, this is after I had, you know, um, I was in the Air Force, and I had a, uh, you know, the clearance level that I have. Um he shared, you know, more of this with me um, and told me to drag it out of my dad a little bit more. And, you know, that's what I tried to do as much as possible before my dad died. Um, so, you know, um, it, it just really, all my life hearing about this, it always fascinated me. So as you would hear this story, I mean, did he add more details as time went on, um, As especially as he, I guess he was... Was this kind of like as he was dying that, that a lot more of this stuff would come out? Uh, yeah, yeah, he would. Um, he he would as time went on, and especially as you know, by the time I started working him, I was an agent, I was an investigator, and I would apply interrogation, you know, soft interrogation skills on him. You know, uh, the things I know where you just have what appears to be a casual conversation with someone, and what you're actually doing is is you're interrogating them, and they don't realize yeah. it. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, I, I do it to family members all the time, particularly if I think they're lying to me about something, and they hate it because it always works. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've pissed my mom and one of my sisters off. <laughs> Could you share um, with us some of your techniques? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, uh, but here's the thing I want to emphasize. Um, one of the clues that somebody's making stuff up or lying is that stuff they've told you in the past changes. Okay. Sure. Nothing that he had ever told me up to whatever point he was, you know, maybe telling me additional, nothing that had been told before ever changed. It stayed consistent. And remember, um, as he was telling me more was as many, many years had passed since they had used the hypnosis to suppress this. And after a while that does break down. Okay. And then when you add on it, the, the interrogation techniques that I'm using and, and, and jogging his memory and the fact that I'm his son, you know, I mean, there's that level of trust where, sure. you know, he knows I'm interested in this. He wa- if he's going to share it with anybody, who else, you know? Um, so you, you combine all of that and of course there's going to be more revealed, but I, I want to emphasize that nothing had changed that had been told already. And that is significant. Yeah, um, and to him, this story was a hundred percent real. Oh yeah, yeah, he was oh, not lying. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I am, I am, was convinced long ago, and remain so that, um, you know, of course, I present the possibility that could be a a a, a, a planted narrative, but to him, this really happened. So, as you're doing the research mm-hmm. on this, you decide to start doing research, looking into this bizarre story and trying to cooperate it. What Mm -hmm. did you, what did you find that you could say that you could pinpoint him to these places that he was in? Oh, well, the beauty is, um, number one, uh, his DD 214, uh, proves that he was at Gunter, for example, twice, as a matter of fact, and at the right time that certain things, you know, were going on. And the fact that, um, again, his DD-214, his discharge paper, shows that he was indeed a um, physiological training specialist and that he did indeed get this kind of training and that he was involved in uh, aviation medicine, as they call it. Um, you know, there you go. Um, it's on his DD-214 and that little form that I talk about in the book that I found in his papers that was a base-generated form, a George Air Force Base form. 101, which uh, told, you know, even more um, corroborating data to his story. And I I would say those two documents are very important to this whole thing. But when I looked at the history of the Air Force at the time and and leading up to it and since, um, and of course, uh, coming from the filter of being an Air Force officer and having been an insider, um, it, it just became even more convincing that there, you know, there was something to his story, whether it's a planted narrative or the truth, all these things just really, um, astonished me, even with my background, um, uh, the degree to which I can say, Hey, there's something, this is not just, there's something going on here. This is not just, you know, some guy, making up stuff out of his imagination to entertain his kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, even if it did turn out to just be MK Ultra, you know, 
uh, planted narrative fake cover story. Wow, what a first of all, what a cover story they chose. If that's the case, what the hell? And if if they went to all this trouble, what the hell were they covering up? See, so what it was, it was just a win win for me um, because again, even if even if you could just dismiss the wild underground story of the you know the parallel civilization people, you got to ask yourself. What the hell were they covering up? And then, boy, the history shows that it sure does look like a secret space program. Um, so, uh, you know, could you place you could you place them in Arizona? Um, specifically through documentation, no. But I want to say this: I have yet to receive. I had to come out with the book, but I've yet to receive um, uh, his uh, personnel record, his full Air Force personnel record, and in that. I could possibly, um, I, I probably would find uh, documented evidence to prove that he was in Arizona and when. Um, mm-hmm. So that was disappointing to not get that file before I came out with the book. But um, uh, the, you know, I if when I get that file, I look through there. If I don't find any evidence, believe me, I'll be the first to say it. But boy, if I do find it, that'll be. Uh, you know, even more corroboration. What I find, what I do find interesting is that in his story, in his testimony, he had said Eastern Arizona, Eastern Arizona, and is and he said, you know, in the vicinity of Winslow, and that's what led me to Holbrook, which is that town in that area I talk about. And lo and behold, we have some interesting Air Force stuff going on right there in Holbrook. So, um, though I could not find. The um, records, the documentation to uh, prove or disprove um, the Arizona part. Um, there's there's some very good circumstantial um, and uh, uh, testimonial evidence to um, back that up. What was going on at that Air Force base in Holbrook? Well, Holbrook is a small um, station. Uh, associated with radar. And in fact, there's a U.S. Air Force radar site there. I talk about that in the book. Um, Holbrook remains um, on the list of uh, um, Air Force installations that have access to what's called Space A or Space Available um, Flights. Uh, anybody who's been in the military knows what space a is basically, um, like when I was on terminal leave, leaving air force active duty, I, I spent 30 days in Europe. Well, on my flight over there, I got what's called a space a seat. All I had to do was pay $12 tax, you know, processing fee. And I got to fly as a, uh, active duty, um, service member. I got to fly, you know, for 12 bucks on a really nice airplane. It was a civilian airplane. They they either use they usually use military craft, but they have a contract uh, um, arrangement with civilian airlines as well. Sure. And uh, that's what I took to Europe and back. Well, that's what Space A is. Like if you're, you know, if you if you if you're on your own time and let's say you're moving, you're moving your family. You and your family can fly on a, a you know, a U.S. Air Force Space A flight. Um, or, you know, even if you're on a a duty situation, sometimes, you know, you could use a space, but that's, that's what it is. It's kind of like the, the airline service of the air force or the military. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think my stepson used something pretty similar to that being in the Navy. So to get into Japan uh, uh, and, and to finish that, I don't think I finished the thought, 
basically um, uh, what it means is is if if whatever the Air Force has at Holbrook, um, the personnel there, if they need to take one of these flights, they can request you know either a plane to pick them up or they get Air Force transportation to the nearest Air Force base because they're on the uh, the um, the roster or whatever the list of bases that you know have this available to them. That's what I mean. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about this concept here about the. Well, let me. Can, can oh, I interrupt? Yeah, go ahead. One yeah, no there. problem. And and the listeners probably saying, well, why is that significant to what you're talking about? The fact that today Holbrook is listed on the Space A list that indicates that there is something Air Force going on there. Gotcha. That, gotcha. That's the ultimate point with that. I see. So it could not just be the space a place. There could be something else happening. Yeah, there. Yeah. Well, well, what yeah. it means is there is something. There is indeed something Air Force going on there officially, yeah. um, which, which is why it even shows up. You know, like there's nothing Air Force in Yucaipa, California. So Yucaipa, California is not on the space a list. See the point? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I see what you're so. saying. Let's talk about this idea of an underground civilization, because in some ways this goes back to your Secret Missions 2 book, talking mm-hmm. about this idea of uh, Richard Burton and looking at underground civilizations, possibly in the uh, South America. So here's a, mm-hmm. here's a corresponding theme to one of your mm-hmm. previous books into this book and your father's story. So what are some right. of the proofs that you kind of lay out in the book about... Uh, a possible subterranean civilization specifically in that area. Hmm, well, first of all, thank you for mentioning the Burton book. That's, <laughs> I, I think that's actually my personal favorite of all my nonfiction books, oddly enough. And, huh. and uh, yeah, I, I just enjoyed writing that. And I love when people bring it up. But yes, there is. Um, I think in this book, Shimmering Light, I present more um, – more evidence that you can point to that uh, the the Air Force, the Department of Defense, whatever government, um, has been doing underground construction. I, I think the the evidence and argument for that that I present in the book is is a, a probably a stronger case for most people. But yes, I do go into um, the the folkloric and the legendary aspects of the local cultures. That have for you know centuries talked about and believe that um, there is this underground civilization um, in uh, you know it's of course all over the world but from their perspective in the you know the American Southwest and some of the description that they give that's in their lore and mythology is darn near exactly in some cases exactly what my dad described in this encounter with these uh, underground people. And so even though, you know, I, I don't have a photograph of one of these people or I can't give you a map to go where their underground cities are, what we've got is this, um, the, this historical um, literature that talks about this in this specific area. And then you have this, this modern account. Now, the only thing, the only way that you could totally dismiss it would be if my dad indeed, you know, was a, a big fan of uh, Native American lore and had read this specific stuff and 
decided, hey, you know, I'll just throw that in on the story. That'll that'll sound good. Um, nothing I know about my dad and or, or growing up, none of the books. Mm-hmm. You know that I ever saw him read or look at, or that we had around the house indicates that he was even aware of the old Paiute legends um, uh, of the uh, Havmasuvs. There's this civilization I talk about in the book. Um, the, the the Paiutes called them the Havmasuvs, and they were this mysterious civilization that had what they called flying canoes, and they had this tube that. Um, the best way they could describe it was that it, it it they they thought that it shot cactus needles because if if this tube was engaged and pointed at you um there would be this prickly pain and and it would stun you and paralyze you um what's interesting about that is not only is that almost exactly what my dad describes in the underground encounter but um in the the following decade in the 1960s in Nebraska, I believe it is, um, there was a UFO encounter with occupants of the vehicle, and they used the same exact thing. It was a rod. They pointed it at one of the witnesses, and that witness was paralyzed. Interesting. So, you know, and Jacques Vallée talks about this in a couple of his mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it. It's again. It's not documentable or verifiable or photographic evidence of of any of this. But um, it's interesting that it has been there for centuries in the lore, and that five or six years or so later, there was another very similar incident, you know, in the Midwestern United States. What was the description? How would your dad describe these beings? Because he didn't really describe them as like the classic gray aliens, right? As you normally right. see laying around, I guess, in the UFO museum at Roswell. <laughs> right. Um, I just went there earlier this year. So oh, did you fact, really? For the first yeah. time. I'd never been to Roswell. Um, but uh, yeah, he insisted when he talked about the um, the uh, what he what he saw of the Roswell occupants and and what he um, uh, was briefed in on with the Arizona situation, he always insisted that that they were human. Um, and you know, whenever he'd see the reports and the stories and the claims that there are these gray aliens with these big round heads, you know, and uh, blah blah blah, so forth, what we're all used to. Um, he would just shake his head and say, no, 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 that is not what they were. Yeah. They were as human as we are um, with with little to no body hair. That's what he said that was different, you know, than us. But, um, yeah, he, he, he said that, you know, and the ones that he, they had the encounter were in which the, um, the other Air Force guy was killed, um, you know, they were they were humans. He said that they were um, essentially blind, mm-hmm. but their other senses were superior. That's how they could live in the underground world. Now, here's what's interesting: is that you know um, the people who had lost the craft, both in Roswell and in 1958, the situation he was involved in, um, they were a civil civilization that had gone underground thousands of years before because of a surface cataclysm on the planet, and they had this advanced technology and such. But um, this group that he encountered could have been um, 
who the Cherokees used to call the moon-eyed people. And that was, again, humans that had also gone underground during this cataclysm. Um, and after all this time being under there, they, they became blind um, you know, as they adapted to the subterranean world. And these, um, these moon-eyed people of the Cherokee legends and reports, uh, Thomas Jefferson – talks about this in one of his books that it was reported during the uh the um colonial um uh, era. that's that's fascinating that's yeah. fascinating so, you also talk about the and we've actually talked about this on with uh, joshua cutchen um mm-hmm. we talked about the guy in wisconsin who had the the three aliens come to his house and make him pancakes mm-hmm. oh you mean joe simon yeah joe simonson yes yeah, and the and the Air Force analyzed those pancakes and found that they were just buckwheat pancakes. The only, they they what they did not have was salt. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is it's talked about in folklore, particularly fairy lore, mm-hmm. that they don't eat salt. Mhm. And the, you know, in the fairy lore, this what's called the secret commonwealth have lived among, you know, lived among us you know, um, parallel, so to speak, um, for a very long time. And they don't eat salt either. Another story this makes me think of, are are you familiar of the story of the blue children or the green children? Uh, yes. Yes. The green children. Yeah. The green children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The story of the, the, in, in like medieval England where they apparently were found and they were, said that they lived in an underground world that was lit by some kind of, it was like a perpetual twilight in their world is what they said. And right. the boy died and the girl later lived. Uh, and uh, she became learned English and became a, a member of the society basically, but they and, never and returned lost her, and yep. lost her green skin. Uh-huh. Tone. uh-huh. So that, so there's some parallels there with that as well. I thought that was interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and to bring it back, you know, you mentioned the Burton book, and in my Burton book, I talk about, you know, it's my theory that those months that he disappeared, um, particularly the four-month period where there's nothing Mm -hmm. uh, publicly recorded uh, or revealed about, you know, I say that he was looking for some of these ancient lost cities that, uh, that, you know, following him, Colonel Fawcett would uh, look for and I think find and, of course, get lost famously returning to um you know burton was finding um some of the remnants of this civilization i think you know that we're talking about here um that that went underground and of course the burton book gets into the the stories of the ancient tunnels in south america and such so that's the tie into that well it's it's interesting how in the ufo lore we have this period from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, and really the grays begin to kind of take over in the 70s, uh, where you have primarily these humanoid encounters with people that look very similar to us but are somehow different. And this fits in very well with that in many ways. You mean my dad's story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the grays really – didn't take hold until the eighties, right, uh, right? You know, uh, late seventies, late seventies. Um, particularly thanks to uh, Spielberg's film, mm-hmm. um, th- that really planted that uh, image in people's minds. And and an interesting thing there, 
um, gee, you know, in the late seventies, mid to late seventies, he comes out with that and plants that image in people's minds and, uh, Oh golly, you know, um, suddenly that's all people ever see. So I, you know, you have to acknowledge that, um, that, that film might've influenced, you know, reports and yeah. how people, you know, people's assumptions as to who these beings are not to say that they don't exist, but sure. You know, and missing time and communion and all these things you know, mm-hmm. go into it as well. Let's talk about Roswell because your dad sure. does mention Roswell and he mentions that uh-huh. as a starting off point of this story. So mm-hmm. I'd like to know you're, you're, you're very critical about Roswell. I am too in many ways because I, I, as time has gone on, I've looked at it and thought that there, a lot of it is based on some eyewitness testimony Mm-hmm. That is remembered forty years after the event. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some of that. Kind of like your feelings on what you think happened, may have happened, or not have happened. Right. Well, well first of all, I'm critical um, of the assumption that the ET hypothesis is the answer. That that sure. right there is what I'm critical of. I do. Think, we are as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think something happened that was not weather balloon or, or it, you know, a classified balloon program related. Um, I didn't buy that. <laughs> I've never bought that. Um, I think that of course that was going on. And of course those things, you know, were coming down, but that of course doesn't explain what we call the Roswell incident. Um, as I say in the book, I think it is just as possible that what was happening was um, an early very classified U.S. military attempt to put man in space. And um, it either remains classified to this day because it's tied in with what became a secret space program that they don't want to reveal, or because it was not technically authorized as such. In other words, and I lay this out in the book, um, in other words, they had the authorization to do, you know, uh, research for on on aviation medicine, you know, under aviation medicine, they had the authorization to research the effects of high altitude flight on human physiology. They had the authorization to build, you know, um, these V twos and other, you know, rockets, right? And what I what I mean by not having authorization as such, it might be that they didn't exactly have the authorization to marry up aviation medicine and those rockets and actually put human beings in one of those rockets and shoot them up into space. But uh, let me put it to this way in the culture, at least I can speak for the air force. uh, One of the big things they hammer into you when, from the time you started officer training school is they tell you officers take risks. Okay. They expect you as an officer to have uh, some balls about you. And, uh, you know, I, I had a commander once tell me, uh, the first person ever tell me this, he said, uh, Walter, it's a lot easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. Hmm. And so my personal opinion as an officer, you know, I know I'm just a lowly captain, um, you know, is I could totally see a guy like Curtis LeMay and, and, uh, Otis Benson, you know, saying, Hey, uh, 
We got permission for the aviation medicine. We got permission for the rockets. Let's put a guy in one of these rockets. Let's do it. And I could see a guy like Curtis LeMay, who was the Air Force chief of staff at the time, you know, chomping on his cigar and saying, you go for it, Otis. I'll, I'll, I'll answer above. You do it. Go for it. Proceed. And, uh, you know, um, that could have been what crashed at Roswell. Do you think it was just possibility of a lawsuit kind of thing or the possibility that they didn't want the they didn't want the Soviets to know what we were working on or so, also the fact that we had Nazi scientists helping us work on it? Well, um yeah, yeah the the first thing like a lawsuit <laughs> No chance of that. You know, it was right <laughs> after World War II. You know, U.S. Army Air Force, U.S. Air Force could do no wrong. You know, and 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 honestly, the citizenry, if they were to find out that these guys had done this, I mean, they'd be hailed as you know heroes. You know, it'd be like, yeah. all right, yeah, yeah, it's too bad they lost the guys, but by God, that's what we want our Air Force doing. You know, stuff like that. So back then, you know, it it would be, I would say, it would be um, a concern of. You know, you're probably assuming that the Russians are going to try the same thing because they had Nazi rocket scientists too. Um, but you just don't want them to know exactly what you're trying or what you're doing. Um, and uh, uh, the, you know, the fact that we had the Nazi scientists that really didn't start becoming an issue with the public until the the 50s, and it was in the 50s that it really started to embarrass the Air Force when it was uncovered by some uh, very good journalists at the time. Um, uh, that some of these guys had indeed been involved with nefarious stuff. And uh, in some cases, the Air Force knew it. And in other cases, they did not. And um, so, you know, there there might have been a little bit of that. But at the time, they would have done it. This was 1947. I don't think that would have been the concern. I think probably the the Russians would have been, you know, the bigger concern. Um, so... Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that does make sense. It's just interesting that we would still 70 years later be covering that up. Well, yeah. And what does that imply? That implies what the heck happened actually. Yeah. What the heck did they see and find out? Right. If now remember, this is all a hypothetical. If this were the case, what there, there must've been something that happened in that attempt Something that happened in that flight that was so game-changing, so vital, that they probably turned around and started doing it again. And one thing led to another, and there they have a true classified manned space travel program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, now let's not forget, this was just, you know, in the decade after the major world war, right? And there is power, there is military power and strength in secrecy. That's why we have... That's why we classify our military technology, a lot of it, is because you want it to be that surprise that you pull out of your uh, toolbox in a time of war. So, you know, uh, really, there there may not be anything sinister or or mysterious about why they would keep it secret. They would have viewed it as the military high ground, you know. Um, The soonest we can put man in space, you know, we've got the high ground. So it could just be a very logical uh, reason for keeping it secret uh, i've been thinking around along these lines lately about 
you know, the whole idea that they put out the flying disc story. And I have to wonder if that was an original cover story. And then someone said, no, no, you can't use that. You're going to make people think that aliens are coming. There's going to be another war of the worlds. Could be. And yeah, then be. they came out. Then they said, oh, sorry. No, it was a, it was a weather balloon as if, mm-hmm. but the flying disc story mm-hmm. could have just been a cover story. And it was just a big public relations mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I honestly, I didn't. I didn't go deep into an analysis of yeah. that. Um, it's just kind of there in the milieu, and it does uh, leave those very questions. You know, what the heck was that about? What, what you know, what was it a cover story for? Was it a cover story? You know, any number of things. But uh, you know, I emphasize um, that just because that story exists does not, therefore, make some leap in logic that it proves the. Uh, the ET hypothesis, which right. a lot of times that's used. Oh, see, they said it was a disc, therefore ET. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. Be- because look, um, my my <laughs> yeah, exactly. My proposal here that it could have been, you know, classified, you know, U.S. Army Air Corps, U.S. Air Force secret space program first manned attempt. Um, it could also have been what Joseph Farrell suggest some type of Nazi issue, mm-hmm. post-war Nazi issue. Okay. Um, it could have been that it could have been, you know, something that as far as the public was concerned had been vanquished and conquered and should not be, and right. was therefore embarrassing. Right. And, um, so that could be, that could be it. Uh, you know, I would say that, um, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a lot more to suggest that it was something not the ET hypothesis than it was the ET hypothesis. And because of the total breakdown of the whole, you know, Roswell Foundation with so many witnesses having turned out to, you know, kind of be flaky or or, or misremembering or, mm-hmm. you know, flat out lying or, or whatever – um, really, right now, the ET hypothesis where Roswell is concerned is kind of a pile of horse crap you know, <laughs> until, they, until they get more and, and kind of start fresh. Uh, that's where it is. Yeah. So, folks, Roswell's up for grabs. You have some interesting insights on uh, uh, Philip Corso about uh, his book, Day After Roswell, which yeah. has normally been looked at to say that, hey, there's the proof right there. This guy spilled the beans. He admitted that all of our technology, fiber optics, everything, uh, night vision, all comes from the aliens. And mm-hmm. you have some interesting thoughts on him. Well, it's, um, you know, and I know some people, you know, the, the ET folks, the UFO folks hate when you bring up people like Carl Flock or Phil Class and stuff, but, uh, you know, too bad. Um, you know, Flock, you know, dug up some interesting stuff about Corso's credibility. Um, but like I say, you know, indicate in the book, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Colonel Corso, you know, wasn't um, – you know, uh, uh, wasn't telling the truth, you know, in, in certain aspects or that, as I suggest, um, he might have been part of, um, a perception management operation where Roswell is concerned. Um, you know, when I look at that situation, I, I see that possibility in there, um, and so I don't completely dismiss Corso 
Um, I do recognize where he might have been full of crap. Um, I do recognize, you know, some of the inconsistencies in what he said about his career and background and, and what the historical facts are. Um, that might right there. It, the questionable things you can raise about the man himself could very well be part of the whole perception management operation that I suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you want to do is you want, you want to mess. If you're trying to mess with Roswell, if you're trying to keep people off track, if you're wanting to put that, if you're wanting to put a particular, um, uh, meme, uh, of that to bed to, to just finally stamp it out and kill it, you might do stuff like, you know, present a so-called source that kind of gives gives uh you know a nugget to the et hypothesis people say aha see we're right we're right but then you want to kind of have just enough mud on the source so that uh, you know so that uh, most other people will say well you can't you can't trust the the nuggets of gold he gave you because look he's questionable and what that does is that puts things into enough of a tizzy and an off-kilter spin that it can bring the whole thing crashing down and think about it since corso the whole, you know, Roswell as an ET incident thing has really, since Corso, that really started it to careen out of control and go into the ditch. Mm, interesting I thought. Think, I think thought. for, I think for you, it, it's you look at this from the, the point of an intelligence officer, and you can see these patterns, you can see these trends. I was a counterintelligence agent. An intelligence yeah. officer is a different thing, but yes, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. You know. But but you understand the techniques is what I'm getting. Oh at. yeah, because yeah. I I've worked in uh, in uh, perception management stuff. I you know I I ran counter espionage uh, operations for a couple of years and was involved in them, of course. And um, you know um, worked in counterintelligence. The, the the one consistency in my career is you know about almost twenty years between. Um, being a specialist for the FBI, being an Air Force officer and an OSI agent, and then being in counterterrorism and then doing background investigations for uh, the the uh, OPM, Office of Personnel Management. Um, you know, I spent my first 12 years every day, uh, practically, um, on counterintelligence operations to one degree or another. And then even in my counterterrorism days, I, I was still operating you know, using uh, counterintelligence, counterespionage, uh, um, intel, operational, you know, stuff. Um, so yeah, I that's that's my perspective, and you know, I see a lot of counterespionage, counterintelligence, uh, perception management um, potential in the whole Corso situation as applied right. to Roswell. Right. So it makes sense to me from that perspective. Let's talk about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and its role in your father's story. And then also this mysterious figure named Wilson pops up. Uh, yes. Yeah. So what about Wright-Pat? What do you want to know? Well, what's uh, what was the role of that in, in your father's story? Oh, very important because Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is where Air Force Aviation medicine, aerospace, medical science, just yep. that's where it grew. That's where it was nurtured. That's that's the lab in which um, 
uh, first Colonel Harry Armstrong and then General Benson, um, you know, created this thing. And um, it played a direct role in my dad's specialty in that the the uh, medical science aspect and the technology supporting that, both flight operations and research into flight medicine, um, this stuff all grew out of right pat. And um, as I stated in the book, uh, at various points in my dad's time in the Air Force, he would have had to gone to Wright-Patterson because, um, if for no other reason, the equipment that I described earlier that was part of his job, the maintenance of it and the training, you know, pilots on how to use it, um, this equipment was – the oversight for that and its origins and design and such was right there at Wright-Patterson at the uh, Air Force labs there. And uh, so my dad claiming in his story – to have to go to write Pat, um, that makes perfect sense within the context of both his story and his uh, documented specialty. Um, a lot of you know the the cool stuff that the Air Force does, you know, starts on a drawing board, you know, right there at Wright Patterson. I was there for three years myself. So I have a friend that was a civilian. Uh, well, he was a. He worked with the Air Force, but a, a civilian a scientist, Dr. Future, he used to work mm-hmm. over there as well. So, Oh, I, I loved it. You know, when I first got the assignment, I was in L.A. They said, look, we want to bring you into counter-espionage operations. You got a choice. We can either bring you to headquarters, you know, and you can run an ops desk, or you can be the branch chief of operations at Wright-Patterson. And at first I thought, oh, Ohio. You know, I had lived in West Virginia when I was a kid, and I'm like, oh, Ohio, and, you know, okay. But then – the thing it was was hmm a desk job even and a desk job means I would be the head of the like the the desk of operations for a particular you know the Russians or whatever you know it's it's a cool job it's not like just a desk job it we just use the term desk um, or gosh I'd be chief of the operations branch which is much sexier so I <laughs> took the Wright Patterson assignment right and I have to tell you. My time at Wright Patterson were three of not not the but three of the best years of my life. I I lived right there in Fairborn, just you know like a half a mile from my building, just inside one of the gates, and uh, I loved that area. It, it ended up being you know more cosmopolitan than I thought, and yeah. that's because you know of the people that work the base. And I just, I loved it. <laughs> it really, I, I mean that it was three of the best years of my life when I was there at Wright Patterson living in Fairborn. Um, and, uh, you know, the base is a very interesting place. And of course the history there. And, um, it's, it was a great experience. Oh well, yeah, absolutely. So who was this mysterious Wilson character? Ah, uh, you, you, t- you touch on this, I think, in Origin and Empire of the Will too, I believe. Well, I touch, I more than touch on it in uh, <laughs> in Origin and yeah. and yeah, Empire. Um, Wilson, my gosh, that's a subject for a show itself. Himself, um, Wilson is this mysterious figure at the center of my dad's story, and as I subsequently learned at the heart of the whole airship mystery dating back to the Sonora Aero Club of California in the 1850s 
and throughout the airship mystery of the 1890s. And then, of course, what my dad told me, his encounter with a Wilson. Um, uh, there, w- Of course, we're not talking about the same man in that span of time, but um, in the Sonora Aero Club, which if the listener is interested, then go to my book, Origin. Um, this was a group of uh, interesting fellows who uh, were allegedly um, building what essentially was anti-gravity flying contraptions in California in the 1850s, the decade before the Civil War. There was a man named Wilson in that group. And then in the 1890s, you know, 40 years later, you had two men named Wilson who reportedly were members of the crew of one of these mysterious airships, and they were encountered more than once. And then um, you have the Wilson that my dad encountered in this, and, and what he was in my dad's story, he was the guy who was running the search and rescue operation, the man who was in charge of what was going on underground, according to my dad. And um, I, I never got an answer on whether he was happened to also be um, an Air Force officer or if he was just like a civilian scientist you know, who the operation reported to that, you know, oversaw the search and rescue and, and any technology transfer that was going on. But um, he was described to me by my mentor, um, the, the Wilson my dad encountered, as the most brilliant man alive who you've never heard of. Hmm. And this was in the 1990s. And um, yeah, um, in 2004, when I first told you know, this story to uh, Joseph Farrell, the weekend that we met at uh, uh, one of David Childress's conferences in Illinois. Um, you know, I had asked him if he'd ever heard of Wilson. It was one of those late night conversations. It was me and him and um, Dorothy Murdoch, who uh, passed away uh, in the last year or so, and uh, she wrote under the name Acharya. Um, anyway, it was us three. And when, when I asked him, you know, have you heard of this Wilson character? You know, he got that look on his face like, oh, oh, we must speak of him in hushed whispers. And, and you know, of course, we got a good laugh about this. But uh, Wilson is this figure that, you know, through, through the 80s and 90s, if, if you had looked at certain things, this Wilson guy would pop up. And um, the the only public mention that that I was aware of, of, of this mysterious Wilson in our times through the, you know, the eighties and nineties was in, uh, uh, Harbinson's W Harbinson's book, Genesis, where he's got this Wilson character who fits the description of this genius scientist. Now he has Wilson kind of as a villain who's, you know, working with the Nazis and stuff. My understanding of the particular Wilson in my dad's story that my mentor told me about was not affiliated with the Nazis and would not have been, but, um, you know, the Harbinson novel is that it's a novel, it's fiction. But, um, what's interesting about that is when you look at Harbinson's novel, you know, he was clearly hearing some of this same stuff about Wilson. He was clearly, you know, a student of the airship mystery, which certainly, you know, was in print in to some degree at that time, of course. Um, so it makes it all the more interesting. Um, you know, who is this guy? But uh, he, he's kind of like the this Wizard of Oz at the center of it. And is probably, this Wilson I'm talking about that my dad encountered, probably is a descendant, in my opinion, of the 1890s airship Wilsons, who are 
relatives to the 1850 Sonora Aero Club Wilson. So you've got this family, you know, with this knowledge of these things, these bizarre things that uh, they pop up in the heart of all this. Seems interesting that you have this family and that they're pulling, that they're doing all these amazing things, but mm-hmm. yet they are so secretive and they're not going to take any credit for this stuff or get any kind of accolades or recognition from, from the general public. I well, guess I guess you have to be so devoted to it, I suppose, or, or believe in, in in maintaining that secrecy. Are there some other motive there? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Not just some other motive. Uh, certainly, there's another motive there, but there's another reward. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, look. You know, there, there, there's a quote that is attributed to Marco Polo. In which, uh, uh, and I don't know if this has been disproven on Snopes or if it can be attributed, but uh, allegedly Marco Polo said before he died that he had not written about half of what he'd seen and heard. Um, And I'll be honest with you, I kind of do that myself. My books do not – people ask me sometimes, Walter, how can you be so confident about some of these things you write and say in your books and in your interviews? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That confidence comes from – Things I do not put in the books and will not talk about publicly. Um, and the, the reward in that is, um, you know, to me, gnosis is way more valuable than being popular. You know, um, I could tell certain stories, personal experiences, and I would be invited to, you know, uh, conferences and I could get up there and people would go, Ooh, ah, and they'd want to hang out and, you know, have lunch with me. And, and, you know, uh, they would, you know, probably inspire me to, you know, spin a, a certain web around, you know, this stuff and exaggerate it and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, that would, uh, that would be a lot of fun for five or six years. I might even make a buck. But then uh, after that, it would dry up because, uh, you know, um, it, it, it would just dry up because those who I think who have gone down a certain road, uh, there's an element of keep your mouth shut and you'll learn more. Hmm. You know, there, there's this old thing. It's called the admonition of ISIS, and that is tell no one. Um, when when Isis lifts her veil and shows you her true nature, shows you more of reality than you knew that was there, that's a gift. And it's not meant for you to go blabbing it. And, you know, because here's the thing, every individual can get out there and find and see that truth for themselves. But this is what the, the gatekeepers, this is what they, this is all they ask of you is that you seek it yourself. Don't expect others to spill it all in a book so that you can sit there, read it in a book, and not do any of the work to learn these things. Because here's the interesting thing. I could I could share certain things, and you can read it in a book, words on a page, or you can hear me talk about it. But here's the interesting thing. When you go out and dig this out and experience this information, these situations yourself, there comes um, another another dimensional quality that only the experiencer can have, can, can experience, can, can, you know, uh, can see. And that's why, 
you know, I say, I'm not just going to put something in a book for, you know, for someone to just sit there and read and they didn't have to do the work because they're not going to get out of it what they could get out of it by seeking themselves. Now, there's some people that are just going to say, oh, that's a bunch of BS. I'm not going to bother with that. Great. I love those people because they're out of the way. (laughs) I love, I love someone who just is just, you know, dismissive and skeptical because then I don't have to deal with them. (laughs) <laughs> we're we're getting philosophical here on this one. This yeah. is this is cool. Yeah. This is cool. But you know, you know let's get back to your dad's story. You know, sure. so we have these elements. So we have possible underground civilization. We right. have this connection to a possible Air Force space program. And then you look at it and you say, wait a minute, there could be a connection to possible MK Ultra as well. So what's ah, the yes. role what is the role there that you think? And we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what's the what's the role? Well, here's here's what I found that really was astonishing to me because I didn't know this. Um the the Operation Paperclip and, and the US military and particularly the US Army Air Force and what became the US Air Force were very interested in and very instrumental in the things developed under MK Ultra. I didn't know this. The Air Force really dug this stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, so much so that uh, you you go to any of the sources I use in my book, they'll tell you, it's in the records, that the Air Force was the branch that most enthusiastically um, started their own MK Ultra uh, projects, so to speak. Um, and guess what? You know, Congress found out what the CIA was doing with that stuff. They never dug into what the Air Force had been doing with it. So with that. Yeah, because the CIA it, is supposed to be a quote unquote civilian organization. Well, yeah, but oh. the military is supposed to answer to the civilians, too. True. But here's the thing. With all that history there that, that I learned for the first time, the Air Force's, you know, hands in MK Ultra, I realized, oh, wait a minute. My mentor told me in the 90s that my dad had been hypnotized to suppress what happened in Arizona, okay? And then I learn, you know, uh, almost 20 years later, that uh, indeed hypnosis was, was the big thing under MK Ultra that they were trying to uh, develop and use and do all these things with both good and nefarious. And so there you have it. The, the history corroborates what my mentor told me they had done to my dad. So what that did was that opened up the whole possibility that um, there was a planted narrative because they were doing things like that and trying to make a hypnotically uh, uh, operated um, assassin out of people. Um, one of the things they toyed with was planting false memories and, and things, identity type stuff. Mm-hmm. So there you go. The fact that they were working with that makes it, it makes it necessary to recognize that the story my dad believed was true and told could have been a planted narrative. But that still keeps the whole thing interesting because if they were going to the lengths to come up with this wild story that my dad told to cover for something, I ask, wow, what the heck were they covering? You know, it must have been, you know, something big. And I don't think just the uh, the missile program was it. Right. Uh, you know, it, there had to be something else. Because as I argue in the book, people would say, well, Walter, all this underground stuff going on, of course it was the missile program. Well, you know, they don't put men, pilots and astronauts on ICBMs, okay? 
why was the Air Force so deeply involved in really what was space medicine, mm-hmm. you know, if all of this was about missile silos? And because of my dad's specialty, he would not have been sent to Arizona to support either the construction of or the operations of ICBMs. That w- He was physiological uh, – Aviation medicine. Yeah. Anything my dad did had to do directly with men, you know, in aircraft or spacecraft. Okay. Very so. good point there. Very good point. Uh, one thing to add to the Air Force's mind control. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book Left at East Gate by Peter Robbins. We've had Peter on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, he talks about his co author. Larry Warren, who uh, witnessed the Rendlesham incident. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And their claim in that book is that similar things, hypnosis, implanted memories were done Mm -hmm. to those guys, including Larry Warren, that witnessed the Rendlesham case. Okay. And so when you're talking about that in the book, I automatically went to that in my mind thinking, okay, there's something to this. These these two things have something to do with one another. So the interest in an Air Force program of mind control Mm -hmm. would, would serve. It seems like whatever could have happened to your dad possibly happened to these guys as well. Right, right, and, and I want to throw in here too, and I say this in the book. I don't see if my if this hypno if this hypnotic suppression was used, if a planted narrative was used. I don't see this as some bad, evil thing the Air Force did to my dad. I don't think my dad uh, looked at it that way, um, because from the perspective, you know, if he was involved in some type of project, I know how the Air Force works. Yeah, they probably told him up front, look, when you're done with this, this is what we're going to do. It's just part of the security of the operation. You know, opsec. And I know my dad. He would have said, okay, he would have saluted uh, smartly and uh, gone about his business and laid down on the couch and let him plant that narrative and do their thing. Um, I probably would have done the same thing um, because the spirit of it was that it was probably something so important. And, and, and this is what they were trying in those days you know, to secure OPSEC. Now, I would say in the subsequent years, you know, um, it's very likely that they just learned that, hey – Make them sign enough paper, you know, that'll throw their butts in jail if they talk. Um, that and also rely on the patriotism. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you can't keep secrets; people will talk. You got to remember the people that involved in these things. They're they're kind of patriotic, right? When they're involved in these ultra secret things, they they see themselves as working on. It's a privilege. They're working on something very very special. And I don't, I don't hear a lot of people ever yeah. cite that when they say secrets can't be kept because, you know, most of us are like, by gosh, I know that, but it's important for national security and I ain't talking about it, you know. So, you know, they can rely on that. But in those days, MK Ultra was new. Mind control stuff was new. Hypnosis was new. And I would say that <clears throat> they were probably using these things um, for OPSEC, not in some evil mad scientist way. Yeah. Yeah, I, c- I could see that. Uh, Rob, Jeff, was there anything that you guys wanted to ask? Um, not really. I answered it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've blown their minds, Walter. <laughs> I, I, and I don't know exactly how all how new it all is. Maybe yeah. maybe the way that through my dad, I'm able to put you know some things together, you know, that have been out there. But you know, I think if you look closely. 
you know, you'll find that there are other situations, other accounts that are probably very similar to my dad's that they might corroborate each other. Um, right. Well, that's, 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 that's more what I meant. It's a lot of new associations and stuff for me. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting story. It's very fascinating. We've barely kind of scratched the surface, uh, really on some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight with this book, mm-hmm. where can people get the book and, uh, contact you if they have any questions or all that good stuff as usual. The book right now is available on Kindle at amazon.com. And if you go there and look for it and you also see my name as author is highlighted, you click on that, that'll take you to my author page at Amazon that shows you all my other books as well. Um, my blog is empire, Excuse me. My blog is empireofthewheel.blogspot.com, and I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I don't always, you know, uh, do a running commentary on my research on those two things, but uh, I I try to keep it relevant. Uh, but I can be contacted there, of course. And uh, the printed edition. Um, I'll announce it, but look for it soon on lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, for those who prefer printed. I'm working on getting that squared away. So that, that'll be available soon as well. Excellent. Very fascinating as always, Mr. Bosley. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we're going to close this section out because we will be right, stay on the line for us, and we will be right back on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> Okay, guys, we're back on Conspira Normal, and this is kind of an unusual show tonight, and we just spent about an hour and a half interview with Walter Bosley. Uh, this show is going to be a little bit longer because we were talking about at the beginning of the show about Pizzagate, and around about Monday, Monday or Tuesday, I ran across an article from... One of our former guests that we've had on the show uh, on dis- on the Disinfo website about Pizzagate, and I thought this was an interesting article that came from a slightly different perspective and maybe a little bit more of an insight to things that maybe in the kind of the more occult side of it. Uh, that guest that we had on is Thad McCracken. And Thad, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. It's been a long time, man. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a couple of years, and thanks for having me on again. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> As I said uh, when we were introduced, I, I wish I was almost better on uh, on under some better circumstances, but just, sure, uh, <laughs> sure. Pizzagate, Pizzagate, some some pretty 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 ridiculous stuff, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know really what you had covered up to this point. I, um, what 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 I find so so. Well, we talked we talked a little bit about uh, what happened with Edgar Madison Welch, the guy mm-hmm. who went in into the uh, Comet Ping Pong. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We moved that into a story of the wider elements of uh, the whole Pizzagate thing, looking at James Alephantis, uh, some of this weird stuff on Instagram, some of the artwork. And so, you know, I, I had contacted you earlier sure. in the week to, to to come on and talk about your stance and how you feel about this whole 
mess. So, yeah. Okay. So I, so I can, I can kind of give you a background on how I got roped into this, which, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's it, cause I, I talk about a lot of, a lot about synchronicity and weirdly enough, I just happened to have a slow day at work a couple weeks ago. And this, well, one, I, there's a site that I like called the secret sun and they linked to this article on the vigilant citizen, uh, which is this ridiculous, everybody, you know, the world is run by the Illuminati, you know, classic, like, Creepy, you know, the satanic panic has kind of turned into the Illuminati, consp- you know, panic. Like the there, there's a secret cabal of elites that are all into weird, you know, cannibalistic sex magic, you know. And it, it anyways, I don't really follow this stuff. So I saw this piece, piece and I kind of po- called out the guy on the site. I was like, do you believe that ridiculous site that you linked? And too much of my surprise, he did. And tons of people in his forum also agreed with him. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? And then I was seeing more and more about Pizzagate in my feed. And so on this day, I started researching it. And in the course of doing this research, I realized that Marina Abramovich uh, happened to be in town that night giving a sold-out lecture in in the town ta- in Seattle where I live. Okay. And I was doing it, and I was doing it on a cult day. So because like these synchronicities come together, I'm like, okay, that's just trippy that I have a slow day at work. I just happened to start researching this. A, a cult and- day being the day, the anniversary of Aleister Crowley's death, correct? Is, is that what is that why it's a cult? Uh, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, I didn't even see that. Uh, yeah. I saw a uh, well, God, that's embarrassing then, because you know that's one thing I can say. I cannot stand Alistair Crowley, and I'm pretty <laughs> open about that. I, I really think he's a cautionary tale of like what not to do with magic, and I think he was propped up as the by the Christian right uh, to keep people away from magic. In all honesty, I mean that's the reason we talk about him is because he was a tabloid hero because he was willing to play the role of I'm an evil occultist, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and it's just it's sad and the occult is just an embarrassing joke which is part of why this idea that the elites run the world through this occult conspiracy is ridiculous because the occult's a complete oh complete joke like seriously go to an occult convention if you're scared by this stuff like seriously there's something wrong with you um so anyways uh so so anyway so i started researching this so i wrote a piece like again a lot lot because i just i just happened it's my slow time where at at the day job that i have we're normally pretty busy but around november it gets really slow so i started writing this so i wrote up this piece and that that ended up coming about uh, a week before the shooter ended up walking so it was like a minor story and Mm -hmm. then a week later this this guy comes into a, a comet ping pong with a gun and then you know it becomes this national story and so all of a sudden it's like, okay, that was like weirdly prescient that I wrote this piece about it. Like I was tapping into something and now it's been like, like I've posted stuff and yeah, you want to talk about people divided on this. I mean, like I posted stuff and people are just like, I like, they're probably still commenting now. Like I couldn't believe like days after I posted a couple of things, like weeks, people are still commenting on these threads on like my Facebook page. And, and so I'd like to talk about just like from the premise. And, and, and the one thing I will say is there was a few emails like I did. So I did some research and I will fully admit that I haven't been up to date on research on this and I'm never going to be because I just don't care because it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. And so I, and, and this, that's just politics in general. Like I normally kind of follow politics, but politics in this last cycle was hit such a record low of just turning into a ridiculous Jerry Springer like episode. Like it was such a low level of dialogue and discourse. That <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I don't uh, agreed. Agreed yeah. with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
I don't even consider myself an intelligent person, but I, I couldn't, I can't, I couldn't, wa- I didn't, I couldn't watch the debates. I didn't watch, ele- I didn't pay attention to election stuff. I, I, I just couldn't. It was so low bar. It was so beneath me. And Pizzagate is one of those things that I also feel is so low bar and beneath me. And like, like there's part of me that is, I can't even believe I'm talking about this. That being said, there have been some emails where like I, when I was researching this several weeks ago, uh, there was two emails connecting. Well, first of all, we need, we need to talk about Abramovich, which I hate when you bring this up and people are like, I don't understand what, what is Abramovich. It's like, this is where this all started. There is a, for those not to know, there's no. a very famous performance artist named Marina Abramovich. And this whole scandal came out with WikiLeaks it coming out through WikiLeaks that Hillary, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager was invited to a dinner party at her place that he didn't go to <laughs> let me start i mean that's this is right. the scandal right from that, tony from tony podesta invited his brother yes. john podesta uh say are you available for this and yes. john podesta didn't even end up going to didn't this go. spirit cooking event he which was, is was, which is pr- he, primarily like performance artist stuff really mm-hmm. well apparently apparently it was just dinner yeah you know and and let, let me let me explain this. This gets a little bit deeper because Tony Potesta and um, and John Potesta are apparently art collectors. And, and this, this is what people don't know is because this is why this was allowed to spread. And if you Google Marina Abr- Abramovich, uh, Breitbart, or like Drudge Report, and you'll see these headlines. You know, they use this email to connect her directly to Satan. And, and I'm like, I'm not exaggerating. This is like literally, we've now connected her. To Alistair Crowley, she's some crazy sex devil worshiping sex magician. I heard some people calling her a cannibal Satanist, um, and some people that you know I almost like respect their opinion. The problem with all of that is she's not. She's not an occultist at all. <laughs> like that's like there's no base. Not only that, you've you've her campaign manager got invited to a dinner party. Uh, as a term, Abramovich. I mean, I did some research. I hadn't heard of her, but in the little bit of research I saw, like. That I I did, um, you know, it was pretty easy to suss out the fact that she's been around forever. She's crazy famous. I realized that I had heard of her because she did this performance called The Artist is Present, which ended up getting turned into a movie. I think like Jay-Z was involved and stuff. And, And another thing is like when I was researching this and she was giving a sold out talk in Seattle, I realized that like Amazon was sponsoring the thing, the Seattle Times, um, Nordstrom's, which is like the highest end department store. So another way of putting it is like this woman is so uncontroversial to most people that like nothing, you know, like literally huge conservative corporations have no problem sponsoring this woman's work. Museums all over the world uh, have featured this lady's work. Like nobody considers this person controversial at all. And yet now we've linked, you know, Clinton's campaign manager gets invited to a dinner party and suddenly he's now we've linked Hillary Clinton to Satan. Like he, and you know, it's just, so right there, that's, that's ridiculous. When that, when that happened, uh, we talked about it a little bit on the show, uh, with another guest and it, it, which really we weren't even, we were talking about John Podesta in light of, uh, the WikiLeaks and with, uh, Tom DeLonge and Blink-182 about UFO disclosure, which he's big into as well. Uh, John Podesta, and so we were talking about that, and I and I said at the time, and I still maintain it. There's nothing there with the Marina Abramovich stuff. Nothing. Uh, nothing. That to me was just it was almost just picking stuff up at, out of nothing. But uh, it, 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 it got it got put into the PizzaGate narrative. Yes. 
later well, on. This, this is where the Pizzagate narrative started. Too. Yeah. This is now all of a sudden, now we've identified Democrats are involved with Satan. Right. Like this is where it starts. We have linked and right, right, right in the middle of the like right in October, right right in the middle of the election election, year, right before the election. Suddenly we've linked the Democratic Party to ritualistic to to Satan and ritualistic occultism. There is there is no link in there. But and and I think it's important to point out not only that we're, we're entering into some really utterly I mean, it's propaganda writing. Obviously, obviously, this is political propaganda. Obviously. And now we're getting into just ridiculous. Now we're judging people because of the kind of art that they make. And I see all these sites and I I saw a ton just in the last week linking to performances that Marina has given and showing the the darker aspects of some of her work and just parading about like, oh, see, we proved that she was a Satanist. You know, too many coincidences here. I saw like four or five strains just in my feed and I wasn't even looking in the last week. Just just pictures of her cherry picking the creepiest aspects of her art and then saying we've identified to Satan's because look at this art, which is insane because like one thing that it shows me more than anything is that uh, most people in America, myself included, don't really understand the art world because if this was say Stephen King or Wes Craven or, you know, a horror director or even like say the band Ghost BC, you know, I don't know if you've heard of this band. (laughs) Oh oh, yeah. Yeah, They've been coming up a lot lately. Yes. So, so say this was any of these bands, this wouldn't even be a scandal. People would be like, um, that's obviously art, you idiot. Like the guy wrote horror books. He's obviously not a literally a Satanist, but since it's this weird, like performance art thing that people don't understand, all of a sudden it's just like, these are real occult rituals that they're doing. She's a Satanist. There's, you know, and it's like, and I, I've seen, and it's like, are you, so this, this is a dangerous precedent. And this is what worries me so much about what's going on in Pizzagate is the association that your taste in art somehow proves that you're into spiritual practice that you're not into evil spiritual practices that you're not into, which is which is ridiculous. Like, you know, everybody, I think a lot of people watch horror movies. Like, I'm not even a huge fan of horror movies, but I watch them. And um, so anyways, so from Abramovic, we've already created, okay, now we're looking. We're looking for, say, you know, we're looking for ties from, uh, you know, uh, the Clinton campaign to Satanists. And they find ties to this guy, Alephantis. And and so, and that's the one thing I'll say about the whole scandal is apparently some other emails referencing pizza and coded words have come up since I've been researching it. I saw two. <laughs> there was one talking about a pizza flyer that connects him to Comet Ping Pong. Uh, and, there, and of course, the implication is that pizza is a code word for pedophilia, which is a stretch, especially when you're talking about a pizza chef. In this email, the only, and this is the only thing t- that ties to comment ping pong, is that this email, they're talking about a pizza flyer, it was for a benefit for Hillary Clinton, and they weren't talking in code. You can see the flyer. They took Hillary Clinton's logo, and they put a pizza on it. Like, so it wasn't code. Like the pizza logo was, look, look, there's the pizza logo. And this was obviously talking about this event. The email was about a month before, you know, they designed the flyer for this event. So clearly obvious what they're talking about. The only other thing that ties Alephantis to this is an email apparently in 2008. I didn't even see any of this two weeks ago. Apparently this is since now they've updated. Okay, we have one more email that ties to coming ping pong. And that's uh, Tony Podesta, or I guess John Podesta, has his birthday party at Comic Ping Pong every year. And at one point back in 2008, he, uh, the guy from Comic Ping Pong, James Alfontis, emailed him and said, um, "Sorry, I didn't get to make you a pizza last night." Yeah, I didn't yeah, I've seen, I've seen that email. Pizza. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so okay, so those are the only two emails, and that's 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 what I'm saying about the scandal. Maybe there was other stuff. 
involving coded language, but on the kying it to comment ping pong, like, no, like there's, there's two emails. One, they're obviously talking about pizza. And the other one, I'm sorry, like pedophile, I should have made you a pizza. Well, one, he's a pizza chef Two, That's what people, I would make you a, a, a child prostitute. Like that doesn't even really make sense. Like, so, I mean, so both those emails and that's it. So now here from this though, they start digging through Instagram accounts and not only that, just going after artists. And, and again, this is the disturbing precedent is this we're playing off people's misunderstanding of art people don't understand the visual art world and so and this isn't even visual art and this is what strikes me is like i'm a musician i've played in places like comic ping pong and i saw all this stuff and so all of a sudden they're saying oh look at all these coincidences and the coincidence that they're pointing out are is there was some art in the venue that they deemed represented pedophilia which it doesn't uh and when i wrote my piece there's a guy named arrington dn Dionisio that was being accused. One thing that he pointed out to me is that art was taken down five years ago. I didn't see that on any, like his art was taken down five years ago because it got apparently uh, barraged by ping pong balls so much. They have rotating art in the place. Uh, and, but weirdly enough, per, since this has blown up, of course, he's had a huge uptick in his art and it's been a sales bump, which is exactly what I paid said in my piece. Uh, same thing with Abramovich. By the way. <laughs> Abramovich was coming out, yeah. of, out, with, out with a book right before the scandal hit. So this, and now there's like high profile pieces in Vice and all over the place. This, this is like the best PR for her. You know, she could have imagined. And weirdly enough, same with, same with this other artist. So now we're getting into this dangerous world where there is really no link between like any pedophilia, anything and comic ping pong. And yet everybody is now like somebody brought a rifle into it. And the, the disturbing precedent, though, is that we're saying this art means this. And we've proven that you're into pedophilia and the occult because of your taste in art, which is utterly insane and, and just such well, a creepy creepy snapshot of the political climate of what's going on and like this is this kind of logic needs to die now this idea that i mean i, I gotta be honest it's middle americans making yourselves look like complete philistines like complete like could you look more dumb and uncultured you know because like i'm sorry like i, I saw so many people like what kind of venue that allows children would have art in it and it's like it's not even controversial art. Like, what? Where do you really? This is where we're at. Well, see that that was. Imagine you can't imagine that like a place would allow children and have art hanging in. Like, this is what we've gotten in this dialogue. It's nuts. I I, I, I said something very similar to what you just said there uh, uh, in the in the intro, and I think my point was not necessarily that it's art because I do. I mean, my myself have an appreciation for art, and I understand some of the more moderate art and some of that. I mean, my my dad's an art teacher for god's sake so i mean i know some of this stuff but it's like some of the themes that seem to be in the in that artwork seem uh, almost inappropriate in some ways for a place where that 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 is that has sleepovers okay. for children are, are, are you talking are you talking about errington is that the one that has the kind of weird kind of misshapen people like kind of like green yeah, yeah. and oh. the one i think you put it yes. i i think you actually put that in the article yeah, A, A, it was up there five years ago. To B, uh, the articles, uh, several articles I wrote, uh, yeah, so it was taken down five years ago, so right off the bat. Uh, B, um, look at his art. 
It's not demonic. It, he involves nudity. It involves sex. It's some surrealist sex art. He gives you an artist statement about what his art is actually about, not what they're telling you it's about. It's about ecstatic states of consciousness and embracing sexuality. And it, it, it does maybe come from a more shamanic theme uh, to that extent. Sure. I mean, it involves it, but but like there wasn't nudity in the pieces that were in Comic Quinn Kong. That stuff didn't involve sex. It was like people holding other <clears throat> uh, other people's heads. It was maybe slightly creepy in a way. I don't. Personally, find it creepy, but then you get these online commentators like taking more of his gruesome art and saying, "Oh, but look!" And like, okay, so you took his two most, and this is the same thing with Abramovich. It's like you're taking their more gruesome stuff and saying, "This is what this artist does," not even letting them explain what their art is actually about, and then say, then explaining it for their audience. You know, oh, by the way, we've telling you what this person's art is about, which it's not. And two, you're taking art that isn't even involved with this in any way, and that was so disturbing about the propaganda writing I saw. It is taking art that has nothing to do with this. Like this, some of the art that. The, that is being shown has absolutely nothing to do with this. Like one of the pieces I was saying was like, Tony, you know, if you look at the fine print, you realize that Tony Podesta owns a piece of art by this artist, but not the pieces that they're showing you. So they're literally like, look at these horrible artists and implying that Podesta owns this stuff. And really they just know that Tony Podesta owns one piece of art by this person. And we have no right. idea what that piece of art uh, is. Uh, let can me ask you about this. The, what, one of the things that I think Tony Podesta owns, and we mentioned yeah. this as well, the, uh, the man that is arched over almost like arched over onto himself and, oh, uh, the tra- yeah, yeah. Tracy Twyman, hardly a Christian researcher. Uh, she, our evangelical Christian researcher, uh, some of the other things that she looks into, and we've had her on the show before. Uh, so she comes from a very, uh, uh, almost an occult background herself. Are you familiar with Tracy Twyman? No, I'm actually not. No, she is, so she, so she has made the point, uh, that, you know, this guy that's arched over, that's not, that's, that's an occult symbol, but also that this is, that it's very similar to a pose that Jeffrey Dahmer would put his, his, the dead bodies of his victims into. I mean, that's, that's a little strange. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. But my question is, who, who made that piece of art? Do you know? I don't. Do you know? Okay, because because my point is, you could actually ask the artist what that represents, and he would tell you. And this is what I hate about this scandal is that we're not doing that. Like yeah. with Aaron to nice, he's like, like I don't know. Yeah, I've heard people make that too. Oh, this is the pose of Jeffrey Dahmer. It's like that's what somebody on YouTube told you that he's an artist. I bet that piece of art cost a lot of money. Cause I mean, again, we're just ignorant to way that the art, the art world is a weird elite rich people thing. I don't deny that. It's weird. Yes. I don't, I don't entirely understand it myself. Yes. Like I, and I'm, I'm, my wife actually has an MFA in art. And that's, what's so funny about this. Like I didn't know who Abramovich was, although it, it turned out that I had heard of her, the artist's present thing that she did. Like, she's like the only performance artist I'd actually heard of. Uh, and, but you know, the second I brought up Abramovich, to my wife who has an MFA in art she's like oh yeah I'm just like you know just like She's like, she's like a rock star in art. Like if you are into art, she's famous. And like by questioning her and telling you, you know, telling people that she's a Satanist, you're making yourself look incredibly stupid and uncultured, you know? Well, I I think your wife and just about anybody that lives in Manhattan, that lives in New York city, that knows who she is, are going to look at this stuff and they're going to say, yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. Have you watched the spirit cooking thing that she's being accused of? No, no, I haven't. Have you watched any of the videos? And that's what's so funny is they're cherry picking images from her work and and showing you the creepiest part. And there's videos of these exact same thing on YouTube, which I post my place. I'm like, watch them. It's not that creepy. The one place, (laughs) the one thing that they did, which was slightly creepy. It's like, it, it is slightly creepy. One, she's an artist. She says straight, she reads her artist statement 
out loud talking about how her art is supposed to make people uncomfortable, which makes them ask questions. So she's telling you straight up, yes, I'm using disturbing images, imagery, and she's telling you exactly why she is doing this, right? And not only that, but then like hunky dudes carry out Deborah Harry and Deborah Harry sings Heart of Glass. You know, there's like, there's so like, there's like nothing creepy about it. And then they both eat, there's a Deborah Harry cake and there's a cake of Marina Abramovich. And then they both eat those cakes. Again, <laughs> It's it's a tad creepy on one level. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, horror movies are creepy. And, and the other thing that I pointed out to you is the weird, utterly insane hypocrisy that we're getting into because this, of course, was unearthed by 4chan. We know it was a political unearthed, quote unquote, by 4chan who are big in this. 4chan is a hub for hentai. Do you guys know what hentai is? Yeah, we know. I know what hentai do you, do, is. Do you want to talk about creepy art? Okay, because yeah. I got to be honest. I've researched Marina Abramovic and a lot of Abramovich and a lot of this stuff. I find hentai a hundred times creepier than anything I saw. And just to explain to your audience what hentai is, hentai is animated demon rape porn, often with multi tentacle demons violating women with their huge phallic penises. And so the guys that unearth this supposedly satanic art in this venue are simultaneously have no problem with beating off watching demon rape porn. It's <laughs> proud of this. So this is the level of psych- psychosis that we're getting in here. And again, it's clearly politically motivated. I think one of the most interesting things that I did read about this is like, again, there's nothing tying comic ping pong. And again, the other thing, if, if people aren't where why this is a problem and why someone who's an artist and everyone that is an artist should be a bit terrified of this it's like part of this coincidental evidence involving uh, involving comic ping pong went and like this has been a music venue for years people are literally going back of their list of bands that have played there over the last 20 years and let me explain something to you. if you're not a musician like a lot of times you play shows you have no association with that venue that you just played. right Right. You booked a band there. You're not associated with the venue. You played a show there. You might have not even booked the show yourself. Somebody might have asked you to play, and you're like, cool. Uh, and you went and played. I've played tons of shows and venues. So, like, this idea that, and that's what people are doing. People are saying, this band played at this venue five years ago. They have a, a yeah, this one band from Denver is like a metal band that had a, like, a jokey pizza logo with a pentagram cut in it. And now they're being brought in this because, oh my God, they played a show there like three years ago. Uh, clearly, that logo is. Okay, you know, I, and, Yeah. I, I, I got to say, I, I agree with about like 95% or probably more of what you're saying here. But real quick, you, you've talked a lot about precedent and I want to bring up something else along those lines. And that's the um, Reddit banning any and all conversation about this, trying to prevent a witch hunt, which I understand. But at the same time, I don't think blocking communication is a healthy way to to, to fix situations like this. And in the future, this kind of thing is going to get, become more and more and more, and more likely with social media and with the internet and with people getting together and people grabbing ideas and people thinking that anything they see online is news and is actual information. Yeah. 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 Um, well, how do you feel about all that? Well, yeah, no. And, and you want to get into that topic and man, the whole news versus fake news thing. Well, for one, it's interesting. I need to actually write a piece about this. Like I write for a site called disinfo.com, right? Right. Um, I need, I'm actually going to write a piece literally that's about how you shouldn't trust things that you read on disinfo.com because <laughs> one of our most popular pieces, um, like last in the last year was about this. It's again, and it's again, it's like stuff I've, I ignore, but this Illuminati conspiracy thing, you know, and I ignore this stuff. You guys probably know way more about this. So because I watch it and it's just like so obviously Christian propaganda to me. It's always Christians. Like, you know, it's always like, oh my God, the elites are in demon worship. And, you know, nobody cares about the evils that the Christian church does or whatever, or, or thinks about the fact that maybe if there was demons, the first thing they do is infiltrate religion. You know, it's always, you know, it's so I find the illuminated conspiracy stuff to be so laughable 90% of the time. And I've watched tons of these videos. Um, But 
but so we had this piece on that was about this. There's this person. There's an Egyptian eye doctor in Oregon who built Egyptian statues in his yard, and there's a story that made rounds about how it's a, you know, again housing a satanic occult thing. One of the most popular things on our site, more popular than probably than anything I've written, and it, it has been for years. It's total. It's total BS. Like, and I realized this, the site got like written up on Weird Oregon years ago, and I remember like st- clicking on it, and just right in the comments, you could see people from the area on Facebook, and Facebook was like, you know, obviously locating these people and they're all talking about, Oh yeah, it's an Egyptian family. You know, I, uh, I was just, you know, I, I babysat their kids. Yeah. It's nothing weird. It's like, you know, a family celebrating their culture. So again, we have this fake story that's been one of the most popular things on our site, which is a 100% bullshit. Like it is 100% nonsense. And that's been one of the most popular things on our site, but we're also getting this, uh, this, this territory though, where the, you know, the, all the major, major media outlets are increasingly being bought and, you know, conglomerated into one, you know, back in 1980, we passed laws and, and it's not a partisan thing. Like, you know, the, the Democrats and Republicans are just as bad at selling out the media and letting them monopolize, monopolize and letting them basically say whatever they want without fact checking. You know, we had laws and we gutted these laws. Right. And, and, and so now all the major media outlets are owned by five companies. And now they're going around talking about fake news when they've been corrupt from the jump. And yet fake news is also a problem, especially when you're looking at that, like before the election, um, um, yeah, and I mean the CAA just came out and BuzzFeed, you know, and all these places scooped it. It's like, yeah, there's these, you know, um, sites that popped up two months before the election in Russia and just started spreading all this fake news story. So we we do have to deal with the fact that yes, it's now become cheaper to spread propaganda, you know, like overseas than that has ever been. And you know, we've been involved with elections for years. So yes, there is this, and that's what people don't understand about the fake news, you know, problem is that. You know, like the Washington Post or like they they are accountable, you know, since they're such big organizations, there's a level of accountability there. Like if they just play it blatantly wrong stuff, they can get sued. You know, there's legal, there's a legal problem. I mean, look at Gawker and what happened with them and whatnot, you know, and Rolling Stone, they had to retract this huge story. So there's a bit of accountability. And with fake news, there's like, you know, there's zero accountability, especially when it's in a foreign country and a website that was set up two months ago, there is zero accountability for this stuff. And that's what I don't think people understand about this conversation is like, well, we need to regulate this stuff. But um, yeah, no, anyways, good. As I said before (laughs) about the whole idea of fake news, I mean, fake news is a real thing. We deal with it all the time. All these stupid clickbait sites that are trying to sell you things. Uh, you know, that happens for sure. But you know, people asking questions, uh, trying to explore, trying to do research to me, that's a little different and trying to, and there is a dangerous precedent when you try to say that that is fake news because you can just say, don't believe it. Uh, I want to just though, read a little bit from your article, if you don't mind. Because sure. uh, I, I think this is the main point, and the main reason that I wanted to get you on about this is that although you know I have questions about some of the evidence in this whole Pizzagate thing, I'm as I said before, I'm 50-50, but I don't want to have this mentality at the same time where there's a, a witch hunt mentality. Uh, yeah. And this is what you say about this, and I'm going to read two paragraphs. What Pizzagate amounts to is a literal witch hunt. I think what's hilarious is that it's right in tune with the witch hunts of yesteryear, which, if you were paying attention, typically had nothing to do with witchcraft, but were actually about slandering people with charges of Satan worship for business political reasons. That's a very good point. Uh, And then in the next, there's another paragraph a little bit further down, and I'm not going to read the whole article, but we're in a new era here. Let's face it, the satanic panic of the 80s 
80s never went away. It was just transformed into an elite Illuminati conspiracy panic. This has been boiling under the surface forever. I've seen all the quote-unquote evidence. I've watched the terrible YouTube videos. I found them full of the loosest of loose connections imaginable to the point that they're actually quite funny. Why are they funny? Because they're all made by Christians accusing occultists of secretly running the world. Last time I checked, nearly every publicly elected official in America is Christian, and the biggest occult conventions only draw a few hundred people. No real evidence digging needed to unearth that fact, which is why these things have always been a total joke up until this point. But now opportunist Looney Tunes like Alex Jones actually have the ear of not only the president, but the entire American war machine surveillance state. And then you go on to talk about how Alex Jones... Yeah, and, go, and trust me. The funny thing about that is, I oh my god, I stopped ignore. I started ignoring Alex Jones so long ago. So like, I haven't paid attention to. I haven't paid attention me to too. how me that guy is. But yeah, no. They, I mean, look, it wasn't hard for me to find quotes where. He, and this is my point: is like they're linking. I, I'm not joking, and it's so funny because of the comic ping pong incident that the media has gotten. You know, it got a lot of mainstream media attention this week because of the the shooter that came in, and none of them are really talking about the art angle like I was talking, and nobody's talking about the fact that they're not just accusing them of running a pedophile ring they're recurring they're accusing them of running a satanic possibly cannibalistic pedophile ring yeah, you know so uh, so it's it, it literally is a witch hunt like this is and alex jones apparently has been quoted as saying that hillary hillary clinton has like ripped up children with her bare hands and and um not only uh and not only that but but, but yeah, and i quote in this like that she smells like satan like her and barack obama are literally demons from hell i mean this is what this guy is implying and that and there's an element to this which is yeah i mean like i said the abramovich thing was tying hillary clinton directly to satan that's what they were doing with that tool with propaganda and yeah it's i yeah no it's man like i said i have I, I've tried to avoid what's going on politically because it seems so beneath my intelligence, you know, and I think a lot of people have just like turned away. Uh, and the one thing that I've learned, though, is people really, really want to believe that, you know, that the world is run by this secret Illuminati. Like people want to believe that so bad. And that's what I've learned from Pizzagate more than anything is you're telling people something like to most people, this is confirmation of something that they've wanted to believe for a really long time. Because I, whereas I tuned out these videos years ago, cause like, you know, I watch them. And again, I think I have a unique perspective of being an occultist. Like I, you know, my point is like, yeah, there's a spirit world. There are forces that are controlling our world that we don't understand at all. Uh, the, I, I, I think these forces, uh, definitely, at least what I've been shown, are more involved with controlling the drug war, controlling the pharmaceutical industry, infiltrating religion, first and foremost. I mean, obviously, that's the easiest way to control people. Once you reach your tendrils in and convince them that you understand the spirit world, uh, that's that's how you manipulate them. And like all this stuff, this dates back centuries, this war between Christianity and the occult. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd urge people to actually like look into the occult, you know, maybe experiment with some of this stuff. Like it's not what you think it is. You know, and and yes, there is an element in the cult of of talking to demons and communicating. And I write about this myself. I have an entire book coming out about communications that I've had with demonic forms of intelligence. And, and my my point would be like, it's it's not what you think it is. As long as you're looking at this from a good versus evil, warring factions perspective, like it's not going to make any sense. You have to look at it from a more uh, yin yang, you know, balanced perspective. Two sides of the same coin. And like, I, I don't think these forces are fighting each other. I think they're working together. Um, you know. And, and, and I could go on. That's I should probably come on another time yeah. and talk about that stuff. But yeah, yeah. We, we we will do that. Yes. 
people really, really want to believe that our government is, and mostly, you know, this is Christian paranoia stuff. And before, again, what the other thing that I find frustrating about the response to this is so many cute, you know, I don't like. I'm not a Democrat, and I'll put that out. I supported Bernie Sanders. Like, I'm, I'm more of that. Like, I Democrats don't even go nearly as far as I would go as far as, like, what we need to do to, say, protect the environment. I think we need to start, a, start thinking about shrinking the economy. Like, uh, Democrats have been bought and sold forever. They're, you know, right-wing Republicans from... 20 years ago. Like I'm not, I'm not a Democrat and people, so many people are accusing me of being partisan in this. And I'm like, no, I'm pointing out, just pointing out that something is partisan <laughs> does, yeah. does not make you partisan. My point is that this happened right before the election and you're trying to tie Hillary Clinton to Satan. And, and not, yeah, I was so frustrated reading these Reddit articles too, where people are talking about, um, how uh, the the links to Epstein, you know, um, which which you know that's that's valid. It's it's creepy that Hillary right. Clinton, and and then but conveniently ignoring that Donald Trump is tied to the same guy. Right. You yeah. Know, we, yeah. We, 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 we talked about that earlier. Oh, yeah. Oh, so conveniently. Right. Just Hillary Clinton's tied to this guy, and all this talk about how she's tied to this guy, and just zero talk about how Donald Trump's tied to the exact same guy. You know, it's just like has probably even stronger ties to the same guy. I, I mean, I agree. And the other thing about that too, that that is a weird leap in logic. I saw so much, and in one people have talked about this. Like one article I read is when you slander people with pedophiles. I mean, those people are treated worse in prison than murderers. You know, pedophiles. So it's it's such an emotionally charged thing to accuse somebody. And I saw so many. People arguing, you know, for the possibility of this, and their argument was like, "But what about Jimmy Savile? You know, what about there have been a cult pedophile rings?" And like, like, are you you're you're kidding me, right, man? I mean, like, Adam, like, murders happen every day, so I guess you're a murderer. Like, literally, this is the logic we're working with here: is that you know, oh, because this thing kind of happens, then this person is guilty of that thing that happens. Like, this is yeah. Well, all, well my, my, all logic has gone out the window. All logic, <clears throat> all rational has gone out the window you know it's just like you're kidding like I, I saw so many people make that argument but pedophile rings have been exposed and i'm like yeah but one very few of them have had anything to do with the occult and two uh you know the vast majority the vast vast majority of sex trafficking has nothing to do with occult anything and that's important to keep in mind most sex abuse happens between family members people friends close friends you know there that's have been pedophile rings exposed and yet yeah, I mean, that's what I, people were arguing with this when it was like, I actually have a cousin that like has a charity that that's what he does is he rescues kids that have been sold mm-hmm. in the sex. I'm like, I'm not arguing that this doesn't happen. I'm just arguing that just because something happens doesn't mean that a certain person is guilty of it. I that's think Rob it. wanted to jump in here real quick. Well, I, I just wanted to say something. It's very similar to that argument is what I've been saying. And I don't want it to be misconstrued is that because this kind of thing does happen and there's a precedent for this kind of thing happening that it's worth looking at and investigating and looking deeper into. And that's why we've gotten into it ourselves. And that's why, yeah, I think a lot of other people have gotten into it and it's kind of gotten carried away, but the, um, I still just hung up on that cutoff of communication that, um, you know, news sources saying it's fake news and Reddit saying we're not going to talk about this anymore. I don't think that's a solution. I haven't, I haven't addressed the Reddit thing. I, I think the Reddit thing is, let's face it, I mean, most of these tech companies are probably pretty lefty. And, you know, right. not only that, I mean, I think this is borderlining into hate speech. And I think Reddit might have banned it because they were worried about, say, potentially somebody coming into the restaurant with a gun. You know, this is why they blocked all these people because, you know, there is a precedent of hate speech and we have laws against, you know, things like hate speech. So I don't, 
it's a fine line. It is. It is. Well, and it's, it's going to get addressed very soon. I just, this was apparently, this was a band. They apparently banned it on above top secret.com too, which is like disinfo Hmm. sister site, which I never really read. Interesting. But I I noticed that, that I just happened to log in there, which I really don't that often. And they had banned it there too. And it's just got, I mean, I, 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 yeah, we are into the point, and this is this is the problem because we have to like start regulating supposed fake news, and yet it's a supreme hypocrisy of the corporate news telling us we have to regulate fake news when they've just been propaganda for years and have gotten progressive, yeah. and they're just as responsible right. for say if they're not. Well, and that's that's the other side of my argument is that them telling us like this is what you need to listen to, this is what you don't need to listen to, this is what you need to hear, like that scares uh, the crap. The out five of things you need to know. Yeah, yeah, and, and only yeah, those five things. Thanks. Well, it's also creepy, though, that now foreign nations can easily meddle in our elections. You know? Yeah, that, well, that's, that's something we have to address. You know, this, not only that, like I said, my point is we well, need to have something. We, we, we've have been meddling in others elections for a long time. I think some oh, of that yes, might yes, be yes, just yes, the yes, chickens yes. coming home to roost. But oh, that, yeah. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> that, thank <laughs> you so much for coming yeah, on, that, buddy. Uh, tell, every, tell everybody where they can contact you and also get your uh, get your books. Um, uh, it's, uh, facebook.com thad, uh, Thaddeus dot McCracken, uh, on Amazon. I have a book out called, uh, transmissions from outside of time right now. And yeah, uh, it's just a uh, look for transmissions from outside of time on Amazon. And yeah, uh, you can download it for only four bucks. It has nothing to do with conspiracy theories. <laughs> I somehow, that's the weird thing about me being on talking about conspiracy theories. I normally avoid this stuff like the plague. Like I, it's not really something that I, I like alien stuff. I find that interesting, but like most conspiracy theories are stuff that I have avoid on purpose (laughs) i'll just leave it at that (laughs) excellent well thad we're gonna uh close out this section guys we'll be back to close out the show on conspiracy normal well we've gone on so long with this show that uh we lost jeff we, we did, which is, I think it's, that's mostly tragic. Cause I think that, um, I think his opinions parallel fads almost perfectly. Yes. Everything from so. the, the continuation of satanic panic to, um, just the, the, uh, kind of absurdity of a lot of the, the coincidental little details that people keep bringing up about it. And, you know, again, I, I agree with a lot of what, that had to say it was great to have him on um i didn't know where he was gonna go yeah. <laughs> go with it but you know it was, it was a refreshing take and i think it, it kind of laid it all to rest for me personally well i think having read the article it just gave me another point of view mm-hmm. um i was really kind of leaning towards that where to his point of view but then i kind of looked into as i said before i looked into things and you know I, i'm kind of you know it, it's it's 50 50 for me man and like I said before, I think this stuff is going to probably just eventually just end up going away and we're just going to be like Pizzagate. What, what was that? Right. You know, Harambe. Who? Yeah. It's just the latest. It's just the latest thing and it'll probably pass. And I'm sure I'm sure there will be people that will still be asking questions a year from now, but it won't be as popular. It won't be as a big as a big deal as it was. No. Um, and. and- you know, like he said, the, the ties to the Democratic Party and Hillary. And so I'm surprised it hasn't faded quicker since that's right since the election's well, over. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> I think I think Trump comes in. I think you're going to have a little bit more of a. There's going to be more of a focus on that and what he's doing or what he's not doing. I think you'll see a lot more of it. So yeah. Uh, 
Anyway, marathon show tonight. As you guys probably noticed, there was no Luke. Um, he's been MIA for the last few shows. So we don't know what's going on with him. But we do have, you know, we do have Jeff, and he's pretty much become like another, another co host for the show. Uh, I want to make uh, an announcement real quick before we go. And we, in the past, uh, we've been doing this show now for, God, it's been almost five years. It will be five years in March. And I've always envisioned this show as being, you know, a free exchange of information. And Rob and I have talked about it, and we've talked about, you know, doing donations and 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 doing doing funding for the show. Uh, and until now, we've decided that we're going to start doing that. So. But the good news is we're not going to use ads. You're not going to get bombarded by any kind of commercials or right, any kind exactly. of crap that you don't want to hear. <laughs> uh, the show is still going to be free for anyone who wants to listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I may put the occasional commercial for Joe, and then I'm still waiting on one from Heather right. for, for her tarot stuff. But, but that's just people we believe in that we're supporting. Right. We're not getting money for that. Right, yeah. We don't get money, money for that. So, guys, we have set up a couple of things, and we're going to have two ways to do this. Um, if you enjoy the show, here are the two ways, and you want to help us out. Uh, we have Patreon, which is apparently a big popular thing. And with Patreon, you're going to get some things. There's some tiers there, but there's like a one dollar tier, two dollar tier. I think it goes from all the way up to a hundred dollars, and you get different things in each of those tiers. Uh, we're going to try to have some special content that is only for the patrons. Uh, we don't know exactly if that's going to be for get have guests on. Uh, and talk to them. We may do that, but we what we're thinking about doing now is we're going to have like some kind of series that we can put up uh, about some more maybe historical aspects of conspiracy theory and maybe some other paranormal things that we could talk about yeah. that we don't normally get to talk about on the show. And these things are going to be thirty minutes long, not three hours long like this show has turned out to be. But so. If you sign up for Patreon, and that's at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash conspiranormal, C-O-N-S-P-I-R-I-N-O-R-M-A-L, you can sign up and become a patron. And not only that, well, well, I'll put a link on the website to it as well, but Absolutely. it also lets you join more of a, a conspiranormal community. Even even at the lowest donation rate, you can get on the website and you know you can post your own thoughts. You know, you can talk to other listeners. You can um, you know we'll post some stuff on there, pictures and little blog posts and whatnot, and just try to build this into more of a community instead of just a you know a host and a listener base, and just right. kind of bring us all together in on that. Yep, very good point, Rob. And so that's the Patreon aspect. The second one will be just a donate button that we're going to have on our site and we'll probably have on the Podomatic. Uh, right now, Patreon is going to be on the Podomatic site and where you can access the shows directly and also on conspiranormal.com. Right. And whereas Patreon is a, a subscription thing to become, you know, 
to join this and help it keep rolling and help it grow. The donation is just a one-time thing. If you've enjoyed the show, right? you know, if you've been listening for a while and you want to see it grow and get bigger and do better and sound better and all that, then, then you're welcome to jump on and do that as well. Yep. It, 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 it's, it's good. It, it's, it's hard for us to, to talk about this cause we're not normally the type of guys that like, we, we feel like we're begging for money or something like that. I always hated watching PBS when I was a kid and they right. come on <laughs> and beg for money for 30 minutes. You know, that, that kind of thing. It's just, if you enjoy the show, if you like it, if you feel like you get some value out of it, then we're willing to put the value in to give back to you. So the value for value model is very important here. And a lot of other podcasts do that as well. And that's all we're asking. We also realize that right now it's Christmas time. People are out buying gifts. So, you know. Right. And the normal show is going to stay the normal show and it's going to stay free. So maybe not three hours long, but maybe not. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Next time we have Joshua Cutchin coming back, the Kutch. Yes. And we're going to talk about his new book, the brimstone deceit. And I'm hoping we're going to finish out the year with Dr. Future. Uh, There are some, possibly some issues with that, but we are also at the end of the year, very last show of 2016. We're going to do our year in review talking about some of the guests that we've had on and maybe some, the news stories looking back at the wonderful year that has been 2016. Man, I can't wait to say goodbye to 2016. (laughs) It's not been that bad. It's been pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And on behalf of Jeff and I guess Luke, Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time on Conspiranormal. Yeah.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.